This is Table Talk 19.5 from the dudes at Late Afternoon Gaming. Tonight, we're talking about a ton of shit, like our upcoming 20th session milestone, favorite things about the campaign so far, and a lengthy discussion about pencils. Check it out, or head to Downtime 3. Enjoy. Alright boys, what's going on? Yeah, welcome to Table Talk 19.5. In preparation for session 20, guys, we've made it so far. Yeah, and hey, I just want to, uh, I'm not going to spoil it right now, but I would like everyone primed. I have a very funny joke that I will deliver at some point during this table talk. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. I am now prepared. Um, I don't have a lot of things to talk about for the Ombudsman Report, mostly because half of the things I forgot to look up. Uh, But during the table talk last time, uh, Duncan made the claim that medical technology in biblical times was worse than our own. And I'm sorry to tell you that there's a little something called ancient aliens. (laughs) Uh, Well, actually, so we prefer ancient astronauts. And second, I was indicating the kind of conventional wisdom, not my personal beliefs on the topic. Okay. All right. Um, I wanted to give a big thank you to Nerf uh, for helping us not sound quite as fucking stupid when we were talking about the air quotes overturning of Roe v. Wade, end quote, <laughs> um, where he said, well, you know, it's just to clarify, we're not actually overturning Roe v. Wade. It's, you know, just setting a new precedent. I, it's very good that you brought that up at one point because, like, I knew that, but we'd been using the terminology wrongly the whole time, as is common in this discourse. Um, and it really helped to, to salvage what could have just made us sound even dumber than we actually are. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's especially good because... Everybody else who discusses it has been a hundred percent accurate about everything with no sensationalism. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we, we'd hate to be the odd people out. Yeah, that's true. I just want to muddy the waters a little, a little more. Um, I, I was saying it in the most sensational way that I thought that I could. However, I also did not and continue to not really understand how the Supreme Court or really any of our government works. So, the, your clarification that they are. You know, on on the way the process actually works was actually edifying for me. So all around great commentary from Nerf. Yeah, that I, I try it. thing, which I put right <laughs> next to each other in terms of significance. I'm just waiting for um, Supreme Court rulings and and uh, admin to come up on a on a trivia someday in a bar. <laughs> yeah, that's the only reason you know anything. <laughs> Ironically, the only place, the only bar that would be worth playing trivia in is my concept bar the library except obviously that would violate the concept so yeah that's true they're a bit at odds with each other listeners let me tell you about a bar concept i have that's universally loved except for a shepherd who thinks it's a bad idea and refuses to invest in it. correct imagine this there's a uh i don't know i guess this would be someplace imagine that this is within walking distance of where you work you get off it's a thursday night you have some interesting reading to do perhaps and you walk down the street and into a small vestibule in the front of a building where there's an elderly woman uh, who reaches out expecting something and you hand her your library card. She accepts it. You walk in into a nice bar that serves food. The rule is no electronics, no talking at all. So uh, tasteful music is playing. There are shelves full of books, puzzles, 
board games that don't require talking, things like chess, um, and all kinds of other materials you might need to work, pens, pencils, desks that you can sit at if you like, and you can have a, a nice meal and a good drink. You make your order on a pad of paper, and uh, everybody leaves you the fuck alone. The only problem with this business is that it won't make any money. It will, because it will have a small but dedicated. very dedicated yeah. group of people. I would go there. That sounds like a dream to me. I think it, it's the right kind of person will hear that yes. and immediately say that sounds fantastic, and then nobody else would ever think it has a chance in hell of working. Well, here's a here's a modified concept that I have, and it is a basically a project space that serves food that you can have a membership at. So think something similar, but open, maybe even open 24 hours. Um, talking is totally allowed. It's not dark or anything like that, but it's a place with like big tables, lots of tools. Um, not power tools, probably, because this would be... People would be drinking, but it's Very a quiet it's tools. a place with space to work, conference rooms, stuff like that. Uh, kind of everything you would need to get shit done, personal or professional projects. You pay a membership and you have access to everything. That'd be interesting. Plus, it's just it's a dope place to hang out. Sounds basically like we were. I, I like it. Uh, I I know we work failed, but I don't know anything else about it. What I was inspired by was um, Nerf and I have have been trying to cultivate some respectable old man hobbies. And we've started with pipe smoking, but we are thinking about moving up to fly fishing. Mm. Um, but I, I went to a tobacco shop in order to get us pipes and some tobacco and, you know, pipe cleaners and, you know, basically like pipe smoking starter kits. And when I was in there, I saw it like three or four middle-aged guys on laptops and clearly what they had been doing was they were all teleworking maybe from different companies and they just went to the cigar shop and like posted up and they would have you know they'd crack open a bottle of whiskey buy a cigar and set up shop for the day and it looked fucking awesome See, the thing is, those guys weren't middle-aged. They were 23, but their, they were their heavy drinking yeah. and smoking habits made it appear as though they were 45. Well, you know what? I'm yeah, that's, gonna, that's an okay I'm price. i take a controversial stance here. I would rather die of lung cancer at 45 than ever be caught anywhere blowing big clouds of, like, bubblegum vape. Should you be, if you're smoking cigars in the cigar shop, should you be getting lung cancer? I mean, you're inevitably going to get some of it in your lungs. I know you're not supposed to pull it that deep. But my, my point is, vaping, I think, had the potential to be a huge step forward and even maybe kind of cool. And it absolutely failed. And I hate people who vape. Awesome. I think that's a fair stance. But there's, there's I just a want to throw that out there. There's a couple of people where I work who, who vape. And it's always interesting because you can tell when you when you walk past somebody and you're and you're like, oh, this person smells like blueberries, you know? Like, why, why are people like this? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was, I'm, I'm trying to remember when I first became aware of vaping, but you know, the idea of somebody basically smoking what looked like a lightsaber, um, you know, I thought, okay, that's like a step in the right direction. That's pretty cool. It's very like Blade Runner, um, but when they realized, oh, we can, we can make it, uh, like put out way more vapor than it needs to 
because um, it's not hurting anyone, right? And so you get these assholes that have this like very strong smelling, ridiculous smoke that just belch it all over the place. No, like, oh, it's it's fine. It's not a cigarette or anything. The good news is, since it's not a cigarette, they can do it in your house without permission, and it's fine. And if you tell them oh, to stop, you're that the is asshole. A good and I, I want to be clear. I'm a. I was also irritated with the people that on campus, when my college campus started banning cigarettes, um, they they would stand like a hundred feet away from you and see that you had a cigarette and go like, <coughs> <coughs> um, you know, as if, as if you they were breathing in some amount of secondhand smoke from that far away. How do you feel about dipping? Anyway, I just wanted to take, I wanted to take oh, some God. shots at vapors. As far as dipping is concerned, one of, um, one of the guys I work with, if you're gonna does dip, dip, you should gut and it. He, uh, you should gut it like a man. Uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd be better than what this guy does. One of the guys I work with has a has a spit cup, but it's a clear plastic bottle, and he doesn't like do anything with it. So, yeah, like there's no tape on it or anything, so you can you can just see it mm. fill up over the day. And there was a there was a point where he was doing training, like he was doing instructing on something. We were all in there attending it, and he he would like walk around a bit. Say a couple of things, walk back to the podium, spit into the cup, say a couple more things. And a lot of the training feedback was like, it was really distracting and kind of super disgusting watching him spit into a clear plastic bottle for like four hours. Uh, (laughs) But it's all anonymous feedback, so he didn't know who said it. And he was walking around after like, "Who's, who's fucking complaining about my dip? And we were like, okay. I remember but the I, first I time it. I saw somebody spit like that. I, I, I didn't even know what it was for for a minute, and then I I put it together like because the only I, I guess before that my only association with with dip had been like I had seen cartoon characters spit into buckets. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, a spittoon. And then I, I I mean I realized a spittoon. Yes, I I was like wow. I I I guess I had never put together that that was a real thing that real people did. Um, and then I knew people who spit sunflower seeds into bottles, and I did that for a while. Um, but that's really not the same. I agree, it is not the same. Uh, but anyway, yeah, there were some important kind of flags I wanted to plant. This table talk, I wanted to express how irritated I was with vapors. Um, that was really my number one. Well, and we've already achieved it ten minutes in, that's awesome. Uh, (laughs) so, uh, I'll just... Just so you guys know, I'll tell you what topics I forgot to look up, uh, so, so you know what we're missing here, which is, how do you pronounce Baba Yaga? Is it Baba Yaga? Is it Baba Yaga? I, I thought it was I, Baba Yaga. Baba Yaga. I mean, who knows? I, like I said, I didn't look it up, so. That's how um, they say it in John Wick. Yeah, that's I. they said Baba, Baba Yaga. Yaga in John Wick, so that's how I say it. But The other thing I forgot to look up is, do Catholics like Biden? Uh, so, <laughs> didn't look that up either. Um, Do any of you know a Catholic that you can text right now and just find out? Yeah, and just, yeah, let me text the Pope and see what he thinks. Um, I mean, he's just one, you know? But I think whatever he decides, they all have to, they all have to go along with. I think so. Unless they don't. (laughs) Yeah, unless they just choose not to. I mean, he's he's the mouthpiece of God, except, I guess, when that's inconvenient. Mm -hmm. Or something. So, for the session itself last time, the only note I have is, during my brief absence, um... I had to take a work call. I stepped away for like five or ten minutes or something. Um, 
Duncan, I don't know what you're doing, but what it sounds like is you just had a Pop-Tart wrapper that you were just crumpling next to the microphone the whole time. Um, I, I, Wait, when was this? This was during the, the part where I had stepped away and uh, Jack and Nerf were just talking about, you know, what they could do, joke ideas, you know, plans. And while you were talking to them, you I don't know what you had, but it sounded like a Pop-Tart wrapper. And just like crinkling it in front of the microphone and it was inescapable. Uh. Uh, no, I wish I had a Pop-Tart wrapper. Yeah, I, I like to do that sometimes, just, you know, crumple pieces of paper next to the mic to make your job yeah. more difficult. Uh-huh. Well, I have been taking my notes on a sheet of tinfoil. Oh, yeah. Just, like, carving it with an X-Acto knife or something? No, I, I have, like, a like a China pencil. I don't know what that is. China pencil? It's... Yeah, you guys... Or a China marker, uh, some people call them. It's a... It's like a... It looks kind of like a pencil, except the core is made of wax, and you basically sharpen it by pulling on a piece of string on the end, and it just unravels. Oh, is that what those are called? Okay. Uh, yeah, I know what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, I've seen them. Huh. But you can use them to write on metals, in case anyone needed to take notes on a piece of tinfoil, <laughs> like I'm doing right now. <laughs> yeah, all right. I'll, I'll remember that. Uh, so that was it for the Ombudsman Report. I'm not even going to go into statistics because there's not really anything worth talking about. But I did want to say mm. that this will be session 20, which is, I consider it to be some kind of milestone. Yeah, add in some cheering right. effects. Yeah, woo. But uh, we actually have a total of 39 posts, or we will once I post this table talk and the episode itself. When you add in all the table talks and the like bonus episodes like our uh, downtime Adventures League stuff, you know, we've got almost double the amount of uh, actual podcast episodes than we do actual episodes. Uh, one thing I was going to do, it was something that I had written down as a topic and then uh, wasn't actually able to achieve it, was I was going to post an ad on Reddit and just advertise our podcast and see if that gets any new listeners. Oh, nice. Uh, but... yeah. Um, Due to an it costs a million dollars. No, it's actually not that expensive. The thing I ran into is due to the nature of where I live, um, my zip code is technically it's within the United States, but it is not part of the 50 states. Um, mm. And I run into this problem a lot where if I'm trying to buy something with my credit card, which Reddit only lets you use credit cards, like I couldn't use PayPal or something like that, uh, they will only have the 50 states. And so if you don't have a zip code that's in one of the 50 states, you can't, you can't do it. Um, <laughs> you just can't. So I, I was gonna, it was gonna be like two hundred bucks ish. Uh, was it was like the plan I was going for for like two weeks worth of ads that would pop up in various places. Couldn't do it. Uh, so that that plan fell apart, which I was a little sad about. Uh, you know, I was, we were really gonna see a huge explosion. Mm. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I bet. I have no idea how many people would have actually uh, checked it out, but anyway. So that didn't happen, but, you know, maybe I'll, I'll find some other way in the future. I checked out Simplecast to see if there was some method there that I could use, and I, I didn't see mm -hmm. anything. Um, oh, that's not true. I can post an audio ad there that will feed into other people uh -huh. that use Simplecast, and so it would be like, hey, you want to check out our podcast? It would just be an audio ad on other people's podcasts. Hey, Jack, can you record a jingle for us? <laughs> uh, listen to our podcast I, I just or I'll kill you. Turn, that's not very jingle. <laughs> I, you don't have to do it right now. We'll give you time to work on it. But, okay. Um, It'll be in that vein. Yeah. 
Uh, and then the only other thing that I have to I have on like my notes of things to talk about is the the main thing that is stopping us from having longer sessions is I always ask for us to cut it. it there are some exceptions to that, but that is usually what happens is I go, hey, can, can we stop now? Because I don't want to spend like days stop, editing. Um, can we stop? Can please stop? Now, when we started doing this, our sessions tended to, you know, even once I truncated it, they were like two-ish hours. Um, so we would usually play for three to four hours with maybe some breaks, and that would end up being a two-hour session. Since we started doing table talk, we generally have been doing it shorter because we'll do like an hour-ish of table talk, and then we'll we'll do maybe an hour and a half to two and a half hours of, of game, and then I always try to cut it there because the, it, the podcast just gets really long and it takes a long time to edit it when I'm doing both. Um, I love table talk. Um, but like, I, I can't have all of the, the things I want. I want to have a longer session, but I don't want to have to edit more and I want to still have table talk. Well, you know, those, those things, you know, are somewhat mutually exclusive. Um, well, we've, we've talked a little bit about this before where like, it's not just that the, you know, sometimes you asked in the session, but, um, given, I don't want to call this a sandbox because Barovia is pretty small, but you guys are not led by the nose anywhere. Like, you do have a lot of options. And so, one of the risks that you entail with that is you frequently decide to do something that I'm not 100% ready for, and so it's better to end the session there. Right, and that's the other main reason why they end early. But I would say more often it's me mm -hmm. asking us to end at a certain point. Well, I, I mean, last last week, though, you know, we ended early because I was not ready for something. Correct. Um, yeah. So that's a, you know... That, that definitely happens, is my point. Sure, which I'm um, not disputing. Right. It, it happens. It happens. Listen, I... And I'm not going to defend I, you. It, it fucking happens, okay. Me, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, so... I'm not going to apologize. Yeah. That was just something I was somewhat <laughs> lamenting, because for the last couple sessions that we've done, the table talk has been, like, as long or longer than the session itself. Um, yeah. And, like I said, maybe 50-50 on whether it's me asking to end it or us going off in some crazy direction that you're like, uh, I got nothing for that. But You know, I gotta say, though, I am a... I am a big fan of, like, marathon D&D &D sessions. Um, it's... I mean, it's definitely easier to do if you're a player. Um, or... I, I found that it's easier to do as a... like a GM if it's a... if it's a one-shot kind of thing that I'm very, very familiar with. Yeah, where it's a little less sandboxy, like you were saying. Right, or, or you know, even if it is sandbox, it's just a... it's a small enough sandbox that I'm... I'm, you know, comfortable doing that, but... I also think those marathon um, sessions are better in person. When you're doing it online, it's just absolutely. not the same. You know, though, I'm... I'm really... I'm kind of at the point now where I just prefer in-person, period. Mm -hmm. Like... I think even with D&D, &D, because I really like the digital tools, I would really like everybody to have a laptop and be at the same table. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and I think that's a totally fine way to do it. Um, yeah. But the the in-person element of being able to look at another person and being able to actually see each other on the breaks and... Uh, a big one for me is control of ambiance. Like, if we all have the same lighting... And I know that we're listening to the same sounds and, and things like that. That makes a big mood difference. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you, it would actually make things a lot easier for podcasting, too. <laughs> uh, 
Assuming that yeah. everyone was okay with still wearing headphones. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously we have an issue with that because we're geographically uh, separated. But the older I get, the, the more of a hassle it is, like, the less and less common it is for anyone to get together to do anything. Um, yeah, and I, I miss doing that. Part of that, the nature of where I am and what I'm doing right now precludes it to some degree. But I, I, yeah. I love like hosting things. I love having people over and cooking for them and having like a board game night or whatever. And I know these things still happen. They just don't happen to me right now. But it's something I'm excited to get back into later on. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, Nerf and I live in the same like major metropolitan area, and we both have friends here that live in the area but depending on time of day that could mean you know 90 minutes away or 20 minutes away depending on traffic and um, a lot of those people are married have kids or have a shared living situation of some kind that means you know nobody's just dropping in on anyone else not that I'm a fan of that anyway but the you know in order to get a couple of people together in the same place is a non-trivial logistical hassle um, and I have a, well, Caboose lives locally and we've been trying to get maybe just like a monthly board game or, or a TTRPG day going where we run a couple of games and people come for whatever they can come for and we'll grill out and things like that. And even just doing it once a month for, I don't know, you know, eight to 10, uh, like an eight or 10 hour stretch, you know, a start day. shortly before yeah. lunch and. Yeah, right, right. Just kind of block out that day. It's it's hard. Yeah. Speaking of board games, uh, I know, Jack, you are a big board game guy. Uh, would you mind taking a few minutes and just walking us through some of your favorite board games and what you like about them? Sure. Uh, and, and so... And we can kind post of links. on what group you have, right? Yeah, we can post links. So... There, there's a couple of we used to do a weekly game night me and, and some of my co-workers that kind of fell off during COVID and now my schedule's a bit weird so but when we were doing it we had a couple of standbys that were fantastic there is Betrayal at House on the Hill yep one of my favorite yep it's a great game It for people who aren't familiar it is Betrayal at House on the Hill not the House on the Hill for some reason not the Haunting of Hill House not the Haunting of Hill although <laughs> right. that is a really good show uh, I love I love Hill House, but uh, it's it's interesting because the game always starts off the same way. You're all sort of working together trying to explore this house, but over the course of the game, uh, you will eventually hit a point where somebody is revealed as the traitor, and it's random, so you don't know going in. You're as you're playing the game, you're playing with the knowledge that it might be you, it might not be, and depending on how that reveal happens, there is one of 50 new rule sets that will be implemented for the second half of the game, and then there's another 50 that you can get as an expansion, so there's a total of 100, and it'll, it just turns into a, a basically a completely different game for the second half, and it's, it's different every time. Now, yeah, it's very replayable for that yes. reason. Yeah, because the, the house you explore is also different every time, because basically you, yeah, you go through a door... And then you draw a tile, and then that is the what's on the other side of that door. So there's really yeah. no feasible way to ever play the same house twice. Yep. Now, the issue with it 
and this is less of an issue with the base game, it really gets bad during the expansion, but playtesting a game to make sure it's balanced for release is fine, but with this, it's basically the base game and then 50 other games. And there are some scenarios that work out pretty well, but then some of them are incredibly unbalanced and didn't really feel like they were very well thought through. Right, or it's so like, like it's, said, it's, w- it's the balanced expansion. towards the trader if you've only got three players, but it's it's you know way on the other side if you've got five. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, they, and it's they, made you worse know, though, by I, the fact that it's it's randomized with the like you don't know what's happened leading up to it, and so sometimes you'll be the trader and. It, it just kind of turned out that from the get-go, you have almost everything you need, and you win, like, the next turn. Or yeah, you might I, go into the haunt the, the second half of the game, and it, you're reading the rules, and you're like, oh, I am just completely fucked. This is hopeless for me. I didn't uh, think that was an issue. Or, or I mean, I, I acknowledge that what you're saying is correct, but especially with something like horror... And I think if you're playing with a like a, a group that's looking for something interesting and not necessarily being incredibly competitive, I like that it's you know potentially unfair, and you don't know which way it's going to go. Yeah, uh, for me, I'm good with that kind of thing if it feels like it was designed into the game and it's supposed to be hard. But there are some situations where you're reading the rules and you're thinking, oh, this is at least for this session, this is just kind of bullshit. Right, and that's there, there's plenty of situations where it could have been balanced fine, but due to whatever happened before, it ended up being, you know, it's like, oh, this was geared towards everyone having good, like, mental no, health no, or whatever. I, I understand that. I guess for me, though, it's a it's a question of length. Like, if, if, you were, if you're going to play something that's particularly unbalanced and maybe not intentionally that way, and it's going to take a long time, that's frustrating. Mm. Yeah, I, I see what but, you mean. But, it, but this usually usually isn't, and so, you know, you roll with it, and it's it's interesting, and, and the, the novelty provided by all the uncertainty far outweighs any, you know, balancing issues, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Now, all that said, if you're going to pick up Betrayal, don't, don't get Betrayal at House on the Hill. They released a sort of a successor game called Betrayal Legacy, which is a legacy game, and it really polishes off a lot of the rough edges while maintaining basically everything that made the game fun. I, I did not know this existed. Yeah, dude, it's great. Uh, and so the way that game's set up, I don't know if people are familiar with legacy games. Um, I'm not. Uh, if So if you're playing Betrayal at House on the Hill, the original version, and you, you buy a game and I buy a game, it's the same game. And after... 50 sessions, it'll still be the same game. You'll be a little more familiar with it, but my box is still the same as your box. Legacy games are games that change as you play them. So, uh, for example, there are systems where if somebody dies in a room, then there's, there's stickers in the box. You'll put a ghost in that room. And there are certain cards that are more powerful depending on if there are ghosts in the room that come up when... Okay, okay. You know, when that card comes out. So you sort of oh, get so- your own version of the game after a while. Your oh. particular board has quirks that somebody else's board wouldn't. And there's there's a history to it. Because you'll walk into a room and you'll be like, oh, there's like, there's three ghosts. And, oh, I remember dying in this room. I know why one of those ghosts is there. Because, you know, a week ago I got fucking stabbed in the back. Uh, it's, it's a neat 
It's a neat idea. I think that Betrayal Legacy pulls it off pretty well. There's a bunch of legacy games out there. This is just one of them. Um, it's, it's just a type of game, right? That's a really neat idea that I didn't know existed. Yeah, it, Betrayal Legacy, great game. The only downside, really, is that um, the, the original Betrayal at House on the Hill with this expansion is a six-player game, although I wouldn't recommend playing it with six players. The I found four betrayal, is the right number. Yeah, four or five was good. Three is too few. Uh, four or five was a sweet spot for me. Betrayal Legacy uh, caps out at five. So, You know, though, there is a really good board game I know for two players. Uh, and I know all three of you are, are acquainted with it. I still haven't even read the rules. It's a... You're, you're missing out. So, uh, I'm talking, of course, about the royal game of Ur. Man... Uh, I had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, that was a ton of fun. Um, listeners, look up the Royal Game of Ur. You are. It's this 6,000-year-old Sumerian game. Um, and it's fucking dope. And there are people that make really nice, uh, like, handmade sets on Etsy that you can buy. They're very cool. Um, it's a great Christmas gift. Jack, do you still play yeah. Mansions of yeah. Madness with anyone? So that was going to be my next one, if we still want to continue on this conversation. I think uh, so. Because I got, I got a couple more. But Mansions of Just Madness... Just be aware, though, that we do need to solve immigration. That's what we committed ourselves to. <laughs> I see. On this table talk. So I think we should... We could put a pin in that for we now. We should integrate it into the session instead. Hmm. Well, uh, I mean, Barovia... Kind I mean, of, we're it, immigrants. The, the immigrants Barovia. don't want to be... Yeah, they're trying to leave in, in Barovia, so it's kind of the opposite situation. But... Yeah, well, uh, Mansions of Madness is, uh, in a lot of ways, kind of the exact opposite of Betrayal at, uh, at House on the Hill, because Betrayal is very open-ended. It's, uh, you're sort of making the game as you go, building this house out, and you kind of, you don't know what's going to happen because the game itself is, is heavily randomized. Mansions of Madness is, uh, back in the day, in version one, this is a game that actually had a DM and who would run the game. These days, that's not really a thing anymore. You have a board, and you have physical pieces, and you're playing on a board, but there's a companion app that handles all of the background stuff. And it will give you a specific scenario. And you know, like, you'll get dropped into a thing, and it'll be like, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to escape. Or there, you've been hired to investigate some some mansion that has mysterious happenings going on and you're you're going around trying to investigate it and you'll move your pieces around you'll tell the app what you did and then it'll say okay you find this person and they tell you this or you find this item add this item to your inventory and you'll grab the card and you'll put it uh, so it's it's a more guided experience but there's a lot of branching paths we i have played one of the scenarios like five times and i've gotten five different endings based on making different decisions succeeding at things versus failing at things different times there's a lot of replayability and since you're not doing most of the like again the dm work right a lot of that streamlined and it's just done for you it lets you focus on the game it's a lot of fun and it's pretty easy to uh to Pull people in who aren't super familiar with board games. It's a little bit heavy, but it's straightforward. And with pretty minimal explaining, you can grab somebody and have them play the game. 
and they'll have a good time with it. it I find that it's a good intro to, to board gaming just because the, the app makes things so much easier. And you can get it on, it's not just on your phone, they have a, there's a Steam version as well, so if you got a laptop, you can do that, or a tablet, um, and you just run it alongside the game. I love Mansions of Madness. Yeah, I've had the game for a long time and I've never played it, and uh, if you and I are ever in the same zip code again, uh, I think that would be really fun. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's that's one of my favorites. Uh, have you? Uh, I don't know if, if uh, Duncan and Nerf have either of you ever played it. Yeah, I've no, played. I don't. I don't think I've. That's a good one. If you if you end up trying to do a board game night, I would highly recommend giving that one a shot. And, and another nice thing about uh, Mansion Demand, this, and then I'll shut up about this one, is. The different scenarios, it's going to change depending on the choices you make, but they give you up front like a, hey, you can typically expect this one to take an hour and a half. Or there's other ones where it's like, bring a charger for your device. This one takes five hours, you know? So depending on how much time you have, you can pick a scenario that is a little less complicated or at least resolves quicker. Or if you do have the time to sit down and really like take, make a day of it, you can go for one of the ones that's a bit longer, but giving that information is nice. There's a little, little more flexibility there. Now, Shepard, what was that game with the cards? I was I was going to bring had, that like, up. The really cool. Okay. So uh, I went into a comic shop. Uh, this was maybe five six years ago, uh, and I saw this one board game that I thought was it looked really cool. It had like this. It was almost like this gothic shell Silverstein kind of artwork. Uh, and that's not quite right, but it was called... They look like woodcuts. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, and that's the only reason was I it, bought the was game. Was it Mysterium? No, it's Escape the Dark Castle. Oh, uh, yeah, I remember you talking about this one. Yes, so the, the story of the game is you and your fellow prisoners. Uh, it's You can play it with two to four players. You're trapped in a dark castle, and then one day the prison cell door opens, and then you are trying to escape the dark castle. There's a, a huge deck of cards. You take 15 of those cards, and they are the rooms of the castle. And so you just flip a card, and you do what it says. It's, um, you know, it's a fight, or it's some event that you have to roll through, or whatever. And it's a cooperative game. If any of the characters die, you lose. Um, so it, it's a team game against the against the deck. Um, and then there's a, a final boss at the end, and then. You, you know, at some point you die or you make it all the way through and you escape. It is probably the most well-balanced game I've ever played in my life. Uh, <laughs> because very, very frequently, it, I, I'd say it was maybe a third of the time we would die on the way to the boss. And then by the time you get to the boss, it was like half and half of it would come down to this final roll where it's like, if I make this roll, then we win. And if I don't, we, we die. And it just comes down to that final roll, like, every time, uh, once you get to the boss. It's a very fun game. Uh, it's a really great cooperative game. Um, and it's pretty quick. I think one playthrough of it, if people know what they're doing, um, and it's pretty simple to figure out. But it takes maybe 45 minutes, something like that. Uh, but it, it could be a real nail-biter. Uh, and... The concept is very simple, but you've got decisions you can make the whole time, which I think are really fun. It's a really limited run game, uh, I think. Like, I tried to find it on Amazon a while back, and they didn't have it anymore, so I don't know if it's still available. But oh. really fun game, really cool artwork, and uh, I, I've had an absolute blast playing it. And the 
it, it was a real hit with people. I had a friend uh, back when I bought the game who really hated competitive stuff. Um, like she would, I'm probably exaggerating, but it, it seemed like she really didn't like the idea of, you know, feeling like she was being ganged up on or feeling like she had to do something to other people in order to win. I don't know what it was, but um, so I kind of made it a point to find cooperative board games. And this is one of the favorites because it's very, very cooperative. Uh, really good time. Jack, you have talked before. Was it the Dark Souls board game or the Bloodborne board game that you thought was really good? Yeah, so <laughs> Dark Souls has a board game. I own it. I was not impressed by it personally, but Bloodborne has a card game. It's a deck building game, and it is phenomenal. I love that game. I, I wasn't even thinking about it until he mentioned it, but uh, it's very fast, and it's the whole point of the game is just uh, risk reward. You know how how. How down to the wire can you get yourself? Because uh, it's if anyone out there has not played a uh, a From Software game, one of the common themes is you build up the the game's equivalent of currency as you kill things, but if you die, you lose all of it. So you're you're always trying to save up, but there's this risk of like if you do something too dangerous and you're sitting on like a fat stack, you could lose all of it. And then it's it's risky trying to get it back. The card game kind of pulls that mechanic in, where as you're killing monsters, you're working together to kill monsters. But the monster can do damage to you as well, and you only have so much health. And as you do damage, you get you get points. If you die, you lose all of them unless you've banked them. But the only way to bank them is to basically skip a turn, which means you're not doing damage. And so you're trying to bank things as, as like, rarely as possible, because every single time you do it, you're missing opportunities to get points. But if you hold off for too long, and the monster does a little more damage than you thought they would, you'll lose everything. And so you're, you're constantly making decisions about, like, okay, I'm, I... I think I can survive one more hit. Do I risk it? And you also have the ability to hurt other players with some of the cards. Like, pretty much everything you do hurts the monster, but you can do collateral damage if you want to. So you can look around and see who doesn't have enough health and see if you can kind of, you know, sneak a hit in on them and maybe take them out earlier than they were expecting. They lose everything they haven't banked and... Now they're they're gonna really have to, they're gonna have to take even more risks to get back into it, right? If you start falling behind, you have to start taking chances if you even want to have a chance of catching up. Uh, it's a it's a really good game, really good artwork on it as well, and I'm a, I'm a big big fan of the Bloodborne card game. I was impressed. I thought it was gonna be a cash in, but it's uh it's quite good. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely curious to give it a shot. I've actually never played any deck building games. Um... Or not that I'm, I'm aware of, it. not recently. No. The the last one that I wanted to mention is a game called Mysterium, if you're familiar with this one. It's a weird one. Uh, it's a fully cooperative game. There's no bad guy. You're all working together. But it's asymmetrical. One person is the ghost of like somebody who's been murdered. And all of the other players are psychics who are trying to commune with the ghost and figure out the the circumstances of the murder, right? So isn't this the one the ghost, where there's like this weird artwork that they have to yeah, interpret? Okay, it's the best. So 
if if you're the ghost, you know what the answer is. You know who killed you. You know where they killed you, and you know what they used to do it. Those are the three things that you gotta guess. So it's like uh, clue person, kind of place and thing. You can communicate like with clue. the person who died. Mm-hmm. But only kind of, right? Because if you're one of the psychics, you have like there's a there's a set of people, and you're like, I know it's one of these people, but I don't know which one. Only the ghost knows that. In order to figure it out, the ghost has to communicate to you using these uh, these vision cards. There's a big stack that you get when you buy the game of these like abstract art pieces. There's there's like hundreds of them, and it's it's really really weird pictures it'll be like a it looks like there's like ai generated artwork where it's like almost yeah, hard kinda. to tell what the hell's going on in it yeah it'll be like a boat that's sailing on grass and the boat's made out of like copper and there's rabbits on it and it's upside down and there's a snake uh, attached to the rudder and so like every card has a billion things on it and you'll be trying to indicate it, you, like it's the chef and so you pick something that has an apple on it but it'll also have a plane and one of the other guys will be a pilot and so the the people are like oh, well I don't know which way this is pointing me and so you have to give them several cards and they have to pick out the common theme so they can zero in on the right thing um, because that's the only way that the ghost is allowed to communicate I, I you can't give game information as the ghost uh, except through cards. Jack, so I can only imagine, of, based on your code names experience, that you're fucking terrible at this game. I, I'm actually okay at Mysterium. Code names, uh, I'm not proud of what happened when we played code <laughs> games. That was <laughs> the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> but Mysterium, I'm a big fan of. And it's a. Uh, the, the most fun that you have during that game is, you know, during the game, as the ghost, you'll give them a card. And they'll start speculating on what it means, and you're just dying on the inside because you're like, that's not what I meant. I didn't notice that's a that totally was totally reasonable conclusion, but it's not the one I wanted them to reach. Yep. I was hoping they would go here and they took a you know, they took a left turn somewhere completely different. Um so that's that's great. But even better than that is at the end of the game when you as the ghost are trying to explain, like, okay, now that everything's out on the table. Why the fuck didn't you guys pick that card? Clearly, I was, you know, pointing you towards it with this, and it turns into this big argument of people calling each other idiots because, you know, <laughs> because everybody has different interpretations of the cards, and they're like, that was a stupid hint. How was I supposed to figure that out? But uh, yeah. Mysterium's a lot of fun. Well, because the asymmetry of those kinds of games always is amusing to me because when you know the answer... It's very clear, but when it could be anything, yeah, you know, you don't have that direction, um, and so you, know, you just kind of gotta. I mean, code names—it's the same thing. Uh, you know, if someone told you what the answer is, you go, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." But you know, your job is to figure out the answer, and it, it's a lot more open-ended. But it's easy to forget that when you're the person providing the hint. Yeah, out of all those games, if you're looking for like a fun party game. Go with Mysterium. It also supports a lot. Of, you can do, I think, seven players with that one, and it and it works with seven players. It doesn't feel like it's too much with seven players or anything. Um, if you're looking for something fast, do Bloodborne. That one is very quick. And then Betrayal and Mansions are both more kind of like we're going to sit down and game experiences. Between the two of them, I think I would recommend Mansions. Um, but 
There's a lot of good board games out there. I haven't looked around for anything new lately since our board game night kind of fell off. I'm going to have to do some research. That was a hobby of mine in the past was I would go to comic shops. I, I had this one that I really liked to go to because uh, they just had a, a ton of board games. And I would just ask the person who worked there, hey, you got any new games? I'm looking for something like X. And some dude would like jump out and be like, oh, yeah, let me walk you through all these things. Um, mm-hmm. And because they they tend to know quite a bit about it and uh, it can be really fun. I'd always walk out with something. Sometimes it ended up being a dud. Like I bought the Fallout uh, board game and it sucks. Um, uh, and I bought some other ones that look like they're potentially cool. I think it's called Mage Knight. It's this mammoth board game. I think it costs like $90. Oh my God. I have and not tried Mage Knight. I've been told not to try Mage Knight. Yeah, it sounds it's, wild. It's got like the thickest rule books I've ever seen uh, for like a, just a board game. And it's probably cool. I'm, I'm willing to admit that that's possible. But I, there's no way I'm ever going to play it. It's just going to sit on the shelf looking pretty because it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. I have Gloomhaven, and I still have not cracked that open. Yeah. Same. I also uh, have Kingdom Death Monster. <laughs> that thing's never going to see any playtime. I don't even know what just that is. Bad. Is that the one that it's costs a, like a gazillion dollars for all the minis? I think it was like 500 bucks. It wasn't a gazillion dollars. For sure. Um, wasted money for sure. Also, did I send you a picture of the box? Yeah, I mean, we had been it's, talking about it, it for is a, while. a massive box it's mm-hmm. it's hilarious like the size of a hyundai <laughs> yeah uh but i wanted to pivot I'm real put quick board game geek links to uh, all of these yeah uh something that i was talking about with jack before we started but i wanted to wait for uh duncan to be around for it uh duncan inspired me to uh get this macro tracking app uh last weekend called macro factor which the idea is just you know, you set some sort of goal, like, hey, I want to lose weight, I want to gain weight, you know, whatever. I want to lose or gain this much per week. Um, and you get some more options, but basically it gives you this pretty loose program of just, hey, try to get this amount of macros per day. Um, this much protein, this much carbs, this much fat. Um, and then you log your food and your activity and whatever else, and it, it'll... I, don't, I haven't had it for that long, but it, theoretically it will adjust to... Um, well... So to be clear, it doesn't, I mean, you can tell it what you're doing physically. That's not how it calculates anything. It's between the food you tell it that you're eating and your weigh-ins, it will, over time, determine, you know, how many calories you burn in a day and be able to calculate a deficit for you to, to reach your weight goal. Right. Uh, and the the funny thing for me, yeah, because you're right, it does, it's got my activity feed in it, but because uh, I, I linked it to like my Apple Health app, but I don't think it, it actually uses it for anything. Um, but uh, what I realized when I started doing this, because uh, I, I went on a pretty aggressive uh, weight loss one in terms of, you know, the calorie deficit I'll use and everything. And I went with like the, whatever its standard array of macros was. And as I started logging my food, I realized that I've been eating way more fat than I thought I was. I thought that some things I was eating were like pretty high protein and I just wasn't paying attention to the fat. And I I have not hit, I've hit one day so far where I was under my fat goal and I have not reached my goal for any of the other macros on any day. So I had to do like this pretty radical adjustments uh, to the things I eat in order to actually achieve high protein, low fat stuff. Uh, which has been very amusing to me. I also haven't hit my... My calorie goal per day is... It's like 1,200 something. I've been under it every single day. 
because I'm mostly just trying to avoid fat, and so I, through this process, I've just foregone eating <laughs> uh, to make sure my fat doesn't get too high. But it's really fun. sounds sustainable. It's it's fine short term because I'm adjusting to it now. I'll I'll be able to meet the goals, but I think my average calorie intake over the last couple of days has been like 900 calories a day, um, which is fine. I got plenty of fat to sustain me, um, but it it's been a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it, and I'm making a lot of adjustments to my diet to get rid of a lot of high fat food that I didn't realize was high fat. So it's been really fun. I don't know. Uh, I guess I don't understand the aversion to fat in your diet. Oh, I'm just um, I'm just following the macro program that it has, and it, sure. So what it, what it tells me to do is uh, Saturday is my high day, but it tells me 122 grams of protein, 50 grams of fat, and 115 grams of carbs. So with the standard array in my plan, I can't eat nearly as much fat as any of the other ones. But what I was noticing right. was foods that I thought were high protein no, no, I, I, also had more fat than protein in them. Yeah, I, I understand that. In previous conversations we'd had, like it seemed like you were specifically avoiding fat for some other reason beyond, you know, you were exceeding the the fat limit in the app, and I so maybe I misunderstood. Well, I had never been talking about this app before because I'd never used this app until this week. I was avoiding carbs before, not fat. Ah, okay. Um, but yeah, which you know, I I had done keto before and it worked for me. I didn't really want to do it again. Um, so now I'm I'm yeah. trying like you said just this macro thing and i'm just trying to i'm trying to align my diet with the goals that it has set for me um and it's like my my point is just saying i was not as aware of the macros uh in the food i was eating and so it this has caused me to make good adjustments to my diet less red meat more lean meat that kind of stuff um but my other thing that i was uh, when I I was looking up, how do I get more protein in my diet? Um, one of the things was, oh, I could I could drink skim milk. Uh, here's the thing, though, I've, I have been pretty convinced for the last five or six years that I've become lactose intolerant. So what I decided was, you know what? It's time to test that. Am I actually lactose intolerant? Easiest way to test it is drink some milk, see what happens. Um, answer: Yes, I'm lactose intolerant. <laughs> um, I, uh, so I, I think you'll get more protein in general from like lactose-free, uh, like uh, there's there's some really high protein lactose-free milk or or like I'm trying to think you know different types of soy milk and um, stuff like that. That if you're going for high protein, you'd want to do anyway. Sure, and regardless of the intolerance, and that's all fine. I just wanted to see you know what options I could give myself. Um, sure, and you know. If I'm not actually lactose intolerant, then yeah, one of those options may be better. But you know, I don't need to necessarily avoid regular milk. Uh, but I'll, I'll I'll get through the milk I've got in the fridge now. But I think that'll that'll probably be the end of it because uh, it did not take long for it to really start messing with me. So just something that made me laugh. Predictable result of my little experiment. So speaking of dieting, by the way, or just food stuff, I had. Uh an experience the other day a life-changing i believe a paranormal experience um, yeah yeah i saw a ghost um i think you guys have already have, had already attempted this i had never done sous vide before yeah duncan's a big sous vide evangelist or he had been in the past yeah i remember you guys talking yeah, about it i'm, I'm a ago. big fan 
So I forgot that I had uh, an instant pot. I've got one. I hadn't used it in like years. It's just it, it's not something that interested me, but it has a sous vide function on it. And I was at the store the other day and I saw a Zwilling kit that was like reusable uh, sealing, like resealable vacuum bags and a little a little mm-hmm. vacuum pump that you can just charge via USB, like super simple. And I was like, oh, I should try that out because that seems like it could be a really easy, like, it's not like cooking a chicken is hard, right? But if I can make it even easier where I can marinate it in the bag overnight and then like when I get home, I'll just pop it in there and have it cooked most of the way. And then when I'm ready to eat, I can just put some oil in a pan and spend like two minutes searing it. Um, and it's like the best chicken ever because it's all, it's like super juicy and it doesn't get like, it's, it's, it doesn't get burned at all because it's not like I have to leave it on there for too long. I just get the, the, exactly the sear I want and I know the inside's already cooked. Um, it's fast. It's just like the best. I didn't realize it was so easy and I'm very happy about it. Yeah. Sous vide's are pretty sweet. I, I got one years ago and uh, th- there was a, somebody at work who had been like, they, they had been making steaks nonstop with the sous vide and they kept talking about how they were the best steaks they'd ever, they'd ever had. And so I finally got one and made Shepard and I steaks. Um, you know, just, I think, used the sous vide to get them to medium rare and then seared them on the stove. And they were awesome. And they weren't even nice steaks. I mean, it was, you know, cheap steaks that I bought at the grocery store down the street. Um, and we we were eating steak, like, several times a week after that, just because it was so easy and consistently very good. Um so yeah, I, I highly recommend the sous vide. I like uh, I like barbecuing. Um, haven't done it in a while, uh, just based on my because I'm I'm renting right now. But I like I like barbecuing, but I could never barbecue a steak as good as I could make with a sous vide. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've uh, one thing that I haven't used a sous vide in a while. The older I get, the more rare I like my steaks, and yeah. I don't know how how well that would work like the rarer you get i'm sure there's some good sous vide setting for it i just never tried it um but due to my personal circumstances at the moment i i'm sort of limited to a stovetop for a lot of the things that i do but i've like perfected making a rare steak on the stovetop i've had some fantastic steaks recently now i'm not eating a lot of steak now because of my new like diet plan but um I've become quite good at that. The innovation that I have finally uh, gotten was I finally got an air fryer, which is something that a oh. lot of a lot of people have been telling me to get one for a long time, and I was kind of just trolling people, I guess, by refusing to get one. It's like I don't need one. I finally decided to get one because of the a lot of the recipes I was looking up for a lot of the seafood stuff I was doing. It just looked like it was a lot easier and quicker with an air fryer. I was like, all right, fine, I'll give it a shot. It's pretty good. Uh, it's it definitely is not like this total kitchen replacer that a lot of people you know pretend that it is. But for certain things, it does make things just easier and faster and gives good results in a very consistent way. And uh, I'm I'm enjoying using it so far. Huh. My my Ninja toaster oven has a an air fryer function that I've never used. Um, but send send me some other recipes you've been doing and. Uh... I give it a shot. 
Yeah. I mean, mostly because I've only had it for a couple days. I've been doing it to cook my shrimp and cod <laughs> uh, for my high oh, protein fair. intake. Um, <laughs> but there, I mean, there's there, I just got them off. I just Googled it and found there's some website where it's just all air fryer recipes for stuff. Great. Use it consistently. So, oh, yeah, breaking news, sweet. by the way, in looking for links to put in the link dump, there is now, uh, as of 2021, a Bloodborne board game as well and it sounds like it's pretty good might have to pick it up all right i can't wait it has 10 expansions it's been out for what <laughs> oh my god now this sounds like a cash grab this this sounds bad yeah hold on huh man i'll have to do some investigating you know what game i never want to play again munchkin <laughs> <laughs> i kind of miss munchkin i, I miss With it right group, up until the moment when i play it and then I'm like, why the fuck yeah. do I play this game? <laughs> the worst experience I ever had with Munchkin was the most recent time I played it. It was a group of 10 people. No, and no, two people no. had played the game before. The other eight had not. It was awful. What a nightmare. Yeah. Nerf, you had something? I. That's funny that you say, like, two people having played it before and eight people have not made it a nightmare. Like, in my experience, that game was always best when... You were playing with people who hadn't quite figured it out and were willing to try like weird stuff. Um, but like what, once you started playing with a group where everyone knew how to play, it just it got so predictable. Um, it's such <laughs> a fun true. idea for the game, but it it's just it, it becomes the same game uh, every time. Yeah, yeah. I the funniest thing it was a, a nightmare at the time, but it was me and two other guys playing it. This was when we were in college. One of my buddies. Uh, he was a thief, and he realized he was going to die. So he just spent his turn stealing everything he could from both of us. Uh, <laughs> because he was that's, like, well, what's the difference? I'm going to lose it anyway. And it was, it, it was like a nightmare. Uh, and because that game was <laughs> that's always... actually really smart. Yeah, that's great. Oh, it's brilliant. But it just made me want to fucking kill him and myself. And uh, it, uh, yeah, I just I have I still have all my Munchkin cards and all the expansions, but I just. If I got really desperate on a board game night, maybe I'd bust it out, but it would really be a last resort kind of thing. Probably be more likely to just call it a night at that point. Yeah. See, I, uh, I, I, I mean, admittedly, I haven't played many board games recently, but I had some friends in college that were very into board games, and they spent a lot of their disposable income collecting new ones and playing them with friends and stuff. I guess I... You know, now that I'm playing TTRPGs regularly, I kind of feel like, for the most part, board games are what you have to do if you can't play a TTRPG for some reason. Um, like, I, I guess I almost feel that playing a TTRPG is strictly superior. Uh, the reasons I would disagree um, with that are... Not that there's like it's better for some things, but one of the good things about playing a board game is that everyone is co-equal. Generally speaking, um, or at least, you know, even in a case like um, Betrayal, you know, th at one point, someone assumes a different role. Sometimes there are some times when the haunt has no traitors, but um, by and large, most board games have everyone on equal footing. Whereas if you're playing a TTRPG, typically speaking, you've got a DM, GM, handler, whatever you want to call it, who assumes a so very I, different role. Well, while I agree that that's true, I don't understand why that's a selling point. Well, it generally requires more work from one person. Um, there's also generally more rules. Uh, 
See, for me, that's part of the fun, though. I mean, the, like the, especially with something like, well, actually, I guess it really doesn't matter what the system is. I I enjoy the preparation aspect of it, and that is you know part of what what I like about it. Um, and they have more rules because they're more flexible, and you can do more with them. So I'm 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 not saying you know I'd never want to play a board game or or anything like that. But in in general, like given the option between playing a TTRPG and a board game, I'm almost always going to pick TTRPG, regardless of what side of the table I'll be sitting on. Eh, yeah. I mean, that's fine. I disagree. Uh, sometimes I'm in the mood for one thing, but board games, they can be a lot faster. Or they can just be a different. Um, and that, yeah. that co-equality is something that I think is a very valuable aspect of a lot of those games. Yeah, I would say, generally speaking... I, I think I like a, a board game better than a, than a TTRPG. Mm. It also it, it depends entirely on who's in the room. That's also true. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess another aspect of that is I think of TTRPGs maybe a little more extreme in so, or in, in a lot of those aspects. And so if you have a bad player, they can be <laughs> yeah. really really bad, at a, you know, and make a make a TTRPG particularly miserable. Um, but the, the same is true the other way, I think. Um, but, uh, I don't know. Like, the, the idea of having a board game night does not appeal to me. It's one of my favorite um, things to do. Ma- I, it, same. I love board game nights. I, I, I'm always thinking, like, oh, man, I should get that back together again. Because that was, that was, like, some of the most fun. I, I That was what I looked forward to. That was what got me through the week. Yeah, it would be, like, the highlight of my month right. if we could have a good board game yeah. night. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I I guess part part of it is just the social gathering aspect of it that I, I don't like. Um, oh, yeah. That's like that's why thing. I like to do board game nights with married couples. I'm single, but I want everyone at the everyone else at the table to be married couples because they're gonna have the same like sensibilities as me. Of instead of trying to be up all night drinking, they're gonna have like a beer and then go home at nine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so like that works for me. That's how I do like audience control typically. No, my, my kind of dream in terms of, you know, an in-person game is a group of people that are, uh, you know, like very goal-oriented, like they want to get in there and play like an in-depth game, like a, um, I'm trying to remember his name, the author of uh, Malice and Book of the Fallen. Oh, um... Steve Erickson. Steve Erickson, yeah. I, uh, and there, there's a, another, another author that's written a couple of books that are part of the series tangentially i can't remember what they are but um like a lot of the content of those books is it came from their D game yeah or i guess they were using gurps or or you know a, a different system at least for some period of time but it was a like that was a kind of a product or an outgrowth of their ttrpg and like i would love to be a fly on the wall for a session like that because you know it must have been you know, very complicated and serious and interesting. And uh, that that's kind of, that's my ideal, is some, like, very screwed-in, detail-oriented people at a table that just marathon through some, like, really interesting material. Yeah, and that's definitely got its benefits. I just, I wouldn't want that to... I don't think I would prefer that generally over the cooler, calmer and probably quicker atmosphere of a board game night. Yeah, I'm, and I'm with you on that one. That's that's where my heart lies, personally. What about you, Nerf? 
<laughs> I I see the appeal of both. Um, wow, that's interesting. I, wow, fantastic. I mean, it's just like it's the way it is. Nerf just um, wants to grill, you know. Yeah, I just I want, yeah, I I want like like a an event pretty much. I, this is probably something you can only do like once a month, but like you know, people come over, you grill, cook food, smoke, whatever, and then settle down and and get into something. I. I think I I probably lean more towards TTRPGs because I, I I think just that like that kind of a feeling of like telling stories around a fire it would be kind of the ambiance I'd be going for which I think is like lends closer towards a TTRPG but mm-hmm. I, I mean I I wouldn't I wouldn't say like board games don't appeal to me I I definitely can see the appeal and I, I would have a good time if we went with board game I will say. It, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about people showing up for 12 hours and they don't eat or take a shit or anything like that in between. Like I, <laughs> I, I like the, the, you know, the grilling out and, um, you know, t- taking breaks and, and eating together kind of aspect of it as well. But I guess it's, you know, the, to, to me, the centerpiece is the game that you're playing. Um, and I, like one of the things that I really, really like about this hobby is... Um, like Nerf and I will frequently have planning sessions where we're, I mean, we're not playing anything at all. We're sitting down and we're talking about mechanics, rule sets that we think are interesting, like planning this upcoming campaign that we're, we're doing or how to manage different types of scenarios or things like that. Even if they never materialize into anything, that kind of sitting down with a pad of paper across the table with a cup of coffee and um, like working out nuts and bolts. I love that. Um, and so I I think, you know, that's something that TTRPGs provide that tickles like the kind of behind the scenes planning. Um, I, I I don't know. There's something there that I find very fulfilling that I can't get from a board game. Sure. I mean, you know, you can, uh, take the engineer out of his, uh, engineering job, but you can't take the engineering out of the engineer. Or something, I don't know. It's, uh, I've never heard that said more. Yeah, eloquent. that's because it's very <laughs> yeah. clunky saying that was just come up with on the spot, I believe. What I'm getting yeah. out of this conversation <laughs> is I want to go back and reread the, the Book of the Fallen. Those are such good books. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know uh, that they're... Uh, <laughs> did, did you finish them? No, and it's funny because I, like, I actually... I wound up starting the series as part of a trade. Like, I, I tried to get someone to read Worm... Um, and they yeah. said that they would read it if I read Mal's and Book of the Fallen. Um, and so I said that I would, and I'm halfway through the series, but I have I have so much reading to do for work right now. And, like, if there's anything that I have a problem with time management-wise, it's reading, because I love to read. I have a lot of very interesting reading to do for work, and I will... You know, I know that by the time I'm done with the current book that I'm on, I will have found two more following on to that that are interesting, and I'll buy both of them. And it's, you know, they, they just multiply out of control. And so I I more and more have been punting, like, personal reading time because there's so much kind of occupational reading that I, I just want to sit down and chew on. So I will definitely get back to it at some point, but I'm, I'm stuck about halfway through the series right now. Did you ever get to the point where you met Carsa Orlong? Yes. Okay, he's getting his own trilogy, which is good because he's the best character. I am like, I, I'm, uh, I'm very intimidated by Steve Erickson with just the the volume of material he puts out. Yeah, 
he's up there with Sanderson in terms of like being just weirdly prolific. Yeah, well, and right. Duncan, you said before that your criticism was he tells a good story, but he takes entirely too long to do so. I I don't think that anymore. Um, yeah, I never I never put I've, I've really the flipped around on as that. Tolkien. Like that's no, yeah. I, I, I was trying there, to do there. world building. Erickson seems like he has mm-hmm. more focused on actually getting to the story, although there is a lot of world building in there. Yeah, so this this is calling back to a, an earlier conversation where, in a nutshell, I was saying that I was... One of the things I didn't like about fantasy was that um, it was absurdly long and, like, a lot of a lot of particularly... Or, you know, a lot, a lot of people's favorite fantasy stuff is these, like... You know, it's three trilogies, and they're all everything's 800 pages long and stuff like that. And I, at the time, I was very busy, and so it frustrated me that I, you know, I basically just didn't have enough time to appreciate good material, and I, I really um, gravitated more towards shorter stuff. Now that I have more free time, I, I think that's why. Now I do have more free time, and I disagree with that. Maybe that's the reason why, but. <laughs> More, more and more now, I really appreciate, um, like, I really appreciate content that has a lot of depth to it. So if you like it, there's a lot there. Um, and I also kind of outgrew my need to finish things. So there are a lot of books that I start and then either, this is less true of fiction, but there's, there's a lot of stuff that I will read and I will only read partially and figure that I pretty much got everything I needed to out of it. Um, so... Yeah, I, I, but to, to Whiskey Jack, to your point, I, I definitely, well, I actually, yeah, I just realized that I forgot that your pseudonym comes from the Erickson stuff as well, but. Yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do not think he's a, he's similar to Tolkien at all from a storytelling standpoint. And his stories are, they're not just dense, they're confusingly dense. And I have gone back and reread stuff, and it's very, very different on the reread. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I want to go back and do it again, because there's a lot of references to stuff that you haven't seen yet, because the world is, yes. like, he, he already knew what this place was, and there's clearly a plan going into it, and so a lot of times you won't get the explanation of something until later, but it's been a part of the story the entire time. So I think right. there's a lot of value to be had in the reread, and, and I'm looking forward to doing it now. Yeah, I, 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 I really like his stuff. I think it's very cool. Um, but it's about time that we moved on to immigration. Um, so <laughs> at the, are we gonna have enough time to actually play? <laughs> I think that I think that ship has sailed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I don't think we're playing tonight. I I do have a practical concern about the session. Um, What's that? If if you recall, for our main like, hero characters, right? Where we left off was we had just. Uh, <laughs> well, hold on. But before we get too tangled up here, um, given that we're already 90 minutes deep into table talk and we haven't even done like the functional components of it yet, I think it would be a good idea to not play tonight. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Are That's fine. the three of it. you available to play tomorrow? I am not. Uh, oh. No. Okay. I mean, I would well, that's a non-starter yeah. then. Um, but yeah, so Nerf, Nerf is right though. And I like as much as I do like table talk, we, we need to... Like, either table talk needs to be shorter, or we need to start earlier because we need to... We won't have time to play. I mean, I would I'm, be fine I'm fine with starting earlier. Yeah. Because my recollection, and part of this is daylight savings time, we used to start two hours earlier than we do now. 
We did. Uh, Nerf, can you support starting an hour earlier than we currently do? Uh, let me let me take that as an RFI. I'll yeah, I'll, I'll find out if it'll work. <laughs> okay. Got it. Yeah, because it's something. I I mean, I also want to have it all, but clearly something has to give here. Mm-hmm. Um, but is is everyone cool with you know? Let's proceed with this instead of chopping it off here and rolling into the session. Yeah, we can just talk. Yep. We can just have yep. a shoot the shit session. We'll have a. There will be a table talk, nineteen point seven five as well. <laughs> I guess <laughs> we, we can just we not do table talk next week. That's fine. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, can, can we just take just, a quick break? To, so I can. Uh, yeah. Oh, grab a beer. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. So uh, before I forget, I do want to. Uh, we're all back at this point. Yeah. I, I do want to yes. mention my practical concern about the session when we do it. Um, because with our hero characters, the last I, thing I actually I, I can. I've already thought this through. So here's here's the way we're gonna play it. The villain sessions. Um, took place between the last players or uh, between I guess at the end of the last player session or mm-hmm. the good guys session you returned to Wizard of Wines at the very end you got there right after the villains left for Yesterhill okay fair play because that, that was going to be my concern is we're heading back to Wizard of Wines but Wizard of Wines is effectively yeah. Schrodinger at the moment that makes sense. Okay. And, and you know, the super fans will have to tell us if that timeline actually works out, but that's that's <laughs> what I'm hand-waving. Time gets uh, well, that's fun. How, that's how time works in Barovia, yeah. Right, so time time is an illusion. Mm-hmm. Lunch time. In Barovia... Doubly so. Doubly so. All right, cool. Just wanted to make sure that... Uh, obviously, you're tracking mm-hmm. it, so we're good, but... Yeah. Now, Barovia uses kind of a, like, a from software conception of time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I really want to try um, this. I got to look into this this Bloodborne board game. I'm pumped about this. Okay, so um, last table talk, Nerf mentioned that at this table talk he wanted to raise and ultimately solve the question of immigration in the United States. <laughs> Nerf, take it away. Um, and that's how we'll solve immigration. How nice. do you feel about love it? <laughs> mandatory immigration? Man, exactly. Mandatory. So we just kidnap people and drag them into the states? No, no, no. Yep. What, I, what I'm saying is everyone... Oh, that's what I raise saying. everyone with the knowledge that once they're 18, they have to choose a different country to go to. Oh. <laughs> we're, ma- we're making people leave. I like that better now. In. Yeah. Yeah, it's emigration. Well, I mean, it's kind of two, yeah. two sides of the same yeah. coin. It's immigration but, with you know, an e. They have to yeah. both leave one country and enter another. Um, but, yeah. So, I mean, there's going to... Everyone in the world is going to have to agree on this. I don't anticipate that being a problem. Um, <laughs> I don't yeah. see why everyone people has to agree. On. Right. Yeah. But I, I think it's... Uh, what What is that concept where, like, in a good society... Or, you know, when you're building whatever the structure is, like, the people building the structure basically need to be okay with falling into any role. Like, an ideal society is built with the designers of that society not knowing which rung they'll wind up in and I'm butchering this but in any case if uh, if we if we raise a whole generation of people knowing that they have to go somewhere else the only place they can't go is the place that they're from mm-hmm. then uh, I think we'll solve pretty much everything overnight I don't see any problems with this plan um, yay or nay you have five seconds 
Uh, once I become God King, it will Yay. be the first policy I implement. I'm on board. Excellent. Okay, well, that's two yays and a nay. Uh, I think we're good. Um, are you ready for the serial killer of the week? <laughs> I wonder who it is. This week's serial killer of the week is abortion doctors. Oh, my God. <laughs> Twist, I did not see coming. Wow. Gotcha. I, I thought about going for the um, women in Louisiana that were maybe going to be charged with murder. Um, I saw a headline earlier today that I guess that isn't going to happen. Somebody decided, I guess, that that might not be the greatest idea. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought I'd go for kind of the Time Magazine angle of the, you know, person of the year is you or <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But, yeah, yeah, Abor- abortion doctors. Shake it up a little bit. I'm shaking. Yeah. Did you Listeners, guys see, uh, in kind of a similar vein, there was a, uh, this, this was a couple of years ago, um, but in Alabama, there was a woman who was shot while she was pregnant, and, and the baby died, and the, the charges were dropped, but initially she she was getting charged with manslaughter for the death of the baby. How does that work? Because what? she got shot. People were like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I, th- there must have been something wow. else going on. I, I mean, I, I'd like to think so, but I know better than it just... Well, no, the, the context is that she, the, the pregnant woman... Uh, the argument was that she shot was the pro- baby. No, she was provoking the guy who ultimately shot her. Oh, she she was like a, at least accused of like assaulting a guy, and then the the guy retaliated uh, okay, well, killing. I, I yeah. mean, that's that's kind of an interesting question, though. Like, yeah, right. You know, if, if you're is that reckless ha- hazarding the life, like yeah, I, I mean, I I I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but that's that's like an interesting moral question, anyway. Oh uh, yeah, here's the quote: uh, It indicted Miss Jones for. Initiating a fight, knowing that she was five months pregnant. <laughs> kind of a, kind of a weird one, huh? Yeah, but I mean, I, you know, again, that that is the necessary context that <laughs> makes it not totally ridiculous that a situation oh, like yeah. that would arise. Right? Is that she? So she endangered the life of her fetus, and then whether or not you consider what she did something she should be held responsible for, or whether or not you consider a fetus a person will color your stance i guess yeah and the letter of the law will will allow you to uh, attempt to interpret it in whatever way that uh mm. you know is appropriate yeah i and it's it's you know people have said to me many times that my um experience as a dungeon master effectively qualifies me to be a judge on legal matters as well because they're very similar mm-hmm. um and it, i am frequently presented cases by rules lawyers that i have to <laughs> you know pass judgment on so mm-hmm. I feel well qualified. Not that that would ever happen at this table. Not at this table, of course. Uh, okay, well, obviously that was my very funny joke. So um, you can sit back. You can move away from the edges of your seat now. <laughs> um, I promise not to say anything funny for the rest of the table talk. Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, I've been on track for that the entire time, so. Um. Well, now that we just have a nice, juicy, four-hour table talk ahead of us. Yeah. Um, well, uh, what I wanted to ask is, since we're moving into session 20, which, again, is something of a milestone, what mm-hmm. what is everyone's favorite moment? Or it doesn't necessarily need to be one, but what's oh, wow. what's your favorite thing that has happened uh, during the campaign, since we're hitting our milestone session here? I, I got mine immediately. The entire session where we first came in to uh, the town of Milwaukee, 
where we had uh, <laughs> we met Gunther mm-hmm. at the at the general store, and then we met uh, fucking Irwin. What's a uh, Erwin Mardikov. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Erwin. It, it, is, it is Erwin. I was saying, I was thinking Erwin and it didn't sound right for some reason. And then we met Isaac as well. And it was just a ton of really, really great characters. I don't remember if it was the same session that we also met. Uh, um, Rictavio. The, yeah, Rictavio, or if that was the following session. But that entire just intro to Velaki was nonstop gutbusters at least for me i loved that and and obviously all the, all the credit to that or at least the overwhelming majority of it goes to duncan for making the characters to begin with but especially with the Isaac interaction um shepherd you <laughs> just the conversation that you had with him like just the interplay was fantastic that was by far the highlight for me so far it was one of my better moments what about you nerf I I think it was our our villain session going back to Velaki after we had uh, murdered <laughs> murdered the Reverend and <laughs> set the church on fire. Um, oh, so you're, come in, you're thinking the tiger one? Yeah, the tiger one. Um, the uh, what was it? The the festival of the the blazing sun. Um, yeah, like coming back, uh, Shepherd. The whole like zany Shepherd trying to like lead the guards in this confusion eventually like taking over as the the chief um like jack and i wandering off uh kind of stumbling into this like something weird going on at at um the wachter house oh yeah just kind of (laughs) getting bored with it and going somewhere else yeah it was just it was just it was yeah it was just so funny and it was just like uh it it felt like yep here's three vampires fucking around yeah that was funny i think my favorite just like you know couple of seconds uh the one that has made me laugh the hardest uh was we had just stolen all the stuff from the martikovs and uh we it was after we had lost arena due to this we had gone to the store to buy some stuff um and uh, Kakabi was saying, you know, something to the effect of, man, I really, I feel bad about stealing all this money. We probably shouldn't have done that. Uh, and then Light of Dawn responds and says, you just spent a bunch of it. And it, you, <laughs> that actually wasn't the case, but the moment was just very funny looking back, uh, and listening to it again. It's just like a really good laugh moment. Yeah. Um, but I think my favorite, my favorite, like, event, uh, was us fighting the, um, uh, the abbot. Uh, and his his line that Duncan threw out about how he can do anything as long as uh, like everything he does is justified because he's an enemy of Strahd or something like that, and then <laughs> he just whacked me over the head with it. <laughs> now, I, I'm not going to say that those moral views are 100% exactly the same, but the way he phrased it in my like immediate like that's stupid, and then like wait a minute, <laughs> that, that sounds a lot like the kind of thing I say all the time. Uh, that was you see the common thread. Yeah, very, very, very funny. Uh, and it was funny at the moment. We all had a laugh, but listening to it afterwards uh, just made it better. I really enjoyed that. So I would say that that was my favorite little moment. And the whole sequence with those guys I thought was pretty great and funny. What about you? To make it explicit in case anyone in case anyone didn't see the common thread, the, the three things that we brought up were all very Shepard-heavy. So good job, Shepard. Oh, thank you. Duncan, what's your favorite I thing? I think... I think my favorite was um, 
It was the it was the session where everything fell apart in Velaki. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, we and, really went from like sixty to zero in two seconds. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was you know it, not, none of it was. I, I mean, I'm I'm sure it's obvious at least to the three of you that like I I have like threads that the individual NPCs or factions might follow, but it's all you know subject to change as you interfere with things, and so. Like I don't have storylines planned out. It it is very reactive. Um, so I hadn't like planned for that to be a particularly dark session. It just turned it the the timing of everything that you had done so far made it just by happenstance. Everything kind of fell apart at the same time. Um, and so I mean, we started. It was like. I think the first thing that happened that session was you got kicked out of the Blue Water Inn. Yeah, and then we lost Arena um, yep. two seconds later. You, yeah, yep. you lose Arena, and, and I mean, kind of in in like within an hour, you got kicked out of the inn. You lost Arena. Um, Kakabi and Aizen didn't realize that you had that Light of Dawn had also taken a bunch of money. Right, and they found that out. And then we also um, went back to the toy shop and remembered that because of Eisen's right. like heavy-handed conduct, you, that <laughs> right? We you were banned scared the shit out of uh, out of him. Yeah, and, and then and then you ended the session sleeping on the pews. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I, I think you know, I think in, we in ended the, the session because that was like halfway through the session. We ended the session with getting into a, a near fatal encounter with the Baron and his men, oh, or yeah, something or like, like that. Fatalistic. But you know what I mean? It, it was like. You you fell out of a tree and hit every branch on the way down, um, and I was, you know, like like I said, I, I hadn't, I mean, had not planned per se for for things to go down that way. And as it got started, I knew I, I thought that I was concerned that it would be just unpleasant. Um, you know what I mean? Like it would it would be irritating, and instead of uh, like instead of turning out the way it did, I was concerned that it would just be a real turn off. Because, I mean, by and large, like it's a meme, and and Shepard, you've talked about the Darths and Droids stuff before, where like player characters act like psychopaths. Yeah, the the murder um, hobo trope is real. Right, right, and I think even I mean even people who very like like make a really deliberate effort not to do that invariably are like rude to NPCs and talk right in front of them and break things and betray people and stuff like that. And and I, I knew that I wanted the campaign, like for it to be appropriately grim, I wanted there to be consequences. And I wanted like this player or this group likes two things. It likes uh, shitty puzzles and ethical <laughs> Which dilemmas. we haven't had enough of. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, yeah, I, I was, especially once I realized how, like, how bad that, how bad the session was getting, I was concerned um, that you guys were not going to like it. And it turned out to be my favorite session. Um, and it, like, everybody played off of it really, really well. Um, and, and it turned out to be cool and not like any session I've ever participated in before. So... Um, I, I also really liked all the moments that you guys described as well, but but yeah, that that one for me was kind of the, um, it was interesting, it was new, and everybody leaned into it and made it very cool. 
so what about what about what we're doing would you like to see change or do you think we can do better about in the next 20 sessions um i i don't know i mean i like i'm very happy with this campaign i i like the characters i like the continuity between sessions and i think the podcast really helps with that because it stays fresh um i I don't know. I mean, I, I know it's easy for me to say what I want to change personally, which is I need to get better with flavor text and kind of scene descriptions. I want to make the world more immersive in that way. Which I think has gotten better, but um, there's definitely still room for more. Yep. And that's not just D&D. That's my, kind of my GMing in general. I, I just, I'm, I'm trying to get better at setting up scenes. And I think I've, I've, I mean, obviously... My NPC game has improved since the last campaign, but my like kind of physical location game still has a long way to go. Um, so that's that's kind of what I want to do on my end. I I think um, I don't know. Honestly, it's hard to put my finger on what what I want from the players. Let me sit on that and, and have you guys go around. What would you like to see? So the thing that I was thinking about, and this is something that I was thinking about, or I always think about with D and D is. Um, character backstory stuff, and as a player, like I'm terrible about it. I'll, I like, I think the backstory for Light of Dawn is cool, and I like what I wrote for it. And then I, I generally don't make a lot of effort to like bring that in to the, mm. uh, like to what we're doing. Um, you, you even referenced it early on because I, you know, obviously you know his backstory where when he got the, uh, when we got the tarot card readings, um, or the Taraka deck readings, uh, Madam Eva called him like the receiver of gifts or something like that. Because, um, in case you guys didn't know, the backstory for Light of Dawn is um, his wife was a sorcerer or some magician of some kind, and when she died, she passed on some of her like stuff, like her ability to influence magic to him. Whereas before he had just been like an ordinary swordsman, now he's got some spell sword stuff. Um, and, uh, like, his his thing that he wants to do generally is be a good guy and do good things um, and, you know, see her on the other side and be able to tell her how he's used the gift um, in a way that, you know, improved the world. That's, like, the conceit that I started with, and obviously that has not, like, really come into play at all with what I have done or the way... He acts. Not that I think he's a bad guy. I think I think he acts the way that I wanted him to, but that story has not come into play at all. And it doesn't necessarily have to, but I think it would add flavor and make it more interesting, and I just haven't done any work to make it happen. So that's something that hmm. I want to get better about doing something with as we continue playing. Yeah. Uh more more shitty puzzles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I think I think the Amber Temple has shitty puzzles, but I could be wrong. Yeah, so the, the this campaign does have a couple of dungeon-like locations, um, and we just haven't gotten to any of them yet, but you can expect shitty puzzles. What about you, Nerf? Um, I think I'm actually going to go with, uh, with more combat that... No! And, and- <laughs> <laughs> so well, so let me let me finish this thought, and I and this is kind of you know because I'm the the Foundry programmer, um, and I've kind of seen what Foundry can do. I'd I'd really like us, I really like us to use more combat that takes advantage of of some of the effects in Foundry, where you can do things like have elevation changes, have obstacles, 
make like yeah. cover relevant. Like there's a lot of there's a lot of things you can add in Foundry that makes combat very tactical and makes decisions like where are you standing very important. And and from the DM side makes it easy to run things like you could have enemies like up on a wall that like run up, shoot, and then run back out of vision. And that makes it like a much more challenging problem to solve. I, I'd really like to see like more more stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny, um, I can't remember when this was. This is a few months ago anyway. I had this I had this kind of um, campaign concept that I wanted to test in a one shot and we just didn't get around to it. But it was this uh, like very combat oriented it really it was kind of it was a dungeon crawl concept for a group of um, a group of highish level player characters that would be tasked with breaking sieges on fortresses by sneaking in and um, you know getting gates open for for troops or uh, stealing stuff that kind of thing. We were going to play that um, and then because we made our level fifteen or whatever characters for that, but then you pivoted and we played a adventures league session with those characters instead because that was where dean murmur was right oh yeah i so i remember what happened there and and it was i i wanted to run it as kind of a um i'm trying to think of a movie that would convey the tone properly um i guess i was thinking kind of like prince of persia type tone right like it's 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 adventurous but it's not slapstick um, and I didn't convey that well, and so like everybody put together characters that were kind of goofy. Um, and I realized, eh, eh, you know, I still have work to do on this, and that's not really what I'm looking to run. And so I shelved it. Dean Murmur um, was the perfect infiltration expert. I, I built him for uh-huh. that purpose. That was not a joke. Yeah, but I mean, his name is clearly a joke. Like that. that and I'm I'm not saying Dean Murmur was the only character, but. It, submissions like that made me realize that the players wanted to play a session that wasn't the session I was trying to run, um, and so I, I, we just moved on to a, a funny session instead. I, like, I'm, I'm definitely something I have struggled with running games is, um, well, actually, struggled isn't the right word. I like, I've definitely had some tonal mismatches where I've I've prepped material and tried to execute it one way and have it go another in terms of the player's interpretation. And I I've learned not to try to like wrestle with the players over tone. Um, but if I have like material I want to execute more seriously and the players want to do something that's more lighthearted or funny, then that's fun too. I just don't want to use my serious material on it. I'll run something funny. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I've, I've done the same thing of trying to tone police, and it's it's difficult. And in theory, as the DM... I think it's doomed. It's not difficult. Like, it's 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 a bad idea. I don't think I don't think it's doomed. I don't know. I mean, I, I also failed at it, so maybe it is. But uh, it's if it's not doomed, it's at least very difficult. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 uh, I know that I will find it frustrating if I, you know, if I want something to be scary and the players want it to be funny, or, you know, or vice versa. Not that I don't, not that that's realistically ever going to happen, but, um, 
So it's it's much better to just say, oh, okay, they want to play a you know a funnier game. Let's play Adventures League, and let's just all agree on what we want to do and have a good time doing it. Um, tonal tugs of war are are bad, um, but but I mean this kind of plays into our earlier conversation in this table talk where I think we're all I think it's safe to say we're all happy with the current campaign, but we also have very different ideas of. Um, you know, like, I guess ideal future campaigns, if that makes sense. Nothing you said makes sense. It's all total poppycock to me. Ah. <laughs> um, but I, I also think that's one of the reasons why it's nice to have a couple of things firing at once. Like, the the West Sale concept that Nerf and I have been talking about, if there are two DMs, you know, we, we can kind of hit that campaign from two different angles, where one can run... Um, you know, stuff that's a little more lighthearted, and the other can run something that's a little more grim, dark, and um, everybody knows what they're getting uh, that way. The thing that appeals to me most about any of that kind of thing that you're talking about is the more episodic content, uh, because the issue that we run into a lot here is, you know, again, if one of us can't be there, like tomorrow, I'm unavailable. Well, then yeah. I can't do it. But if you're doing something that is by nature, you know, easier to drop in and drop out. Uh, especially if you got two DMs too, like in mm. assuming you've got a decent sized group, <laughs> then every weekend someone's going to be available to play. Yes, yeah, and and that's actually something I've been thinking about. With you know, I've been saying that the next campaign I want to do after Curse of Strahd is Delta Green, and the Delta Green thing is interesting from a campaign standpoint because I think the way like the way I've seen other people execute this and the way I intend to execute it is it would probably be like a, a series of like serial investigations of differing lengths and so i think it would be relatively easy to say hey this next you know like out of session we could say listen the next case that you guys are going to get is i think it's going to take three to six sessions so um you know we'll, we'll be running that on friday nights let's say and I, I would prefer that only people who think they're available for the next three to six Fridays play this one. Um, you know, otherwise, stay tuned. Um, and, and, you know, because what I have right now is in between Fridays where we're running uh, this campaign, I'll run... I mean, it's unrealistic to even schedule them as one-shots, but I'll run... You know, a, a mystery, like a standalone game that's probably going to take two sessions, maybe three. And we'll start one, or, you know, we'll get one session deep, and then we just... It's impossible to to schedule the next session, and we never finish it. Mm-hmm. And what I should be doing, and what I intend to do in the future, is I'll say, you know, that same thing. Hey, I'm trying to run this thing. I think it's going to take two or three sessions. And so let's pick a three-week block where you can come to all three sessions. If you can't do that, then you can't play. Um, and that way, you know, if we finish it in two, great. But, you know, we, we have... We don't have to figure out after the first session when we can get everybody back in, if that makes sense. Right. Mm. Because I, I just... I have way too many loose threads. And I think that's frustrating on, on both sides of the table, where there are people who clearly want to finish it and can't because we're, we're all busy. Yeah, but I think that, uh, at least for me, I understand that that's just a risk of 
of the table. Like if we if we can fix it, great. But it's not like I'm sitting here being salty about it, you know. No, but I it's it's I mean, at our current rate, it's not like a hey, you know, every couple of scenarios we wind up with one we don't finish. It's that we rarely finish. Yeah. Um. So, um. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it may mean that they run a little... We run them less often, but hopefully that they reach more satisfying conclusions. Um, it, it's also... I mean, it kind of fits another goal of mine, which is, especially with stuff like Delta Green, I am trying to... I'm trying to take the scenarios that I've already run, consolidate my notes on them, and polish them better to kind of meet the things that we've already addressed this session. Like where I have better descriptions for the scenes. I have more fleshed out NPCs, that kind of thing. So, you know, having having less material, but executing it better. Um, but uh, I can't even remember how we got on this topic. Oh, we, we were talking about this campaign and kind of what, what we want to maybe improve on in the future. Yeah, and I mean, I already brought up earlier the session length table talk stuff of, you know, I, I don't sure. know what the answer to that is. Uh, I think starting an hour early, though, was is going to help. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, can, we can have our cake and eat it, too. We just got to put a little more time into it. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's contingent on Nerf's availability. He's more limited in that regard than we are. But I think the compromise there is if, um, you know, Nerf back me up on this. I, I think if you're not available an hour earlier, it's probably wise for us to do table talk without you to make sure that We'll start an hour early, we'll do table talk, and then we'll have more time to play the session with you. Yeah, and I, you know, that we would still have enough time for me to come in with my hot takes, you know, at the end of table talk. Yeah, right. and ultimately... Perhaps we could just, we could just name the topics we talked about and give you 30 seconds to respond to all of them. I, I like it, yeah. It would, yeah. it would honestly not even change that much because I, I was actually curious to do some sort of calculation, but the amount of time spent talking, it's like... 80% uh, or like 75% me and Duncan and then 20% Jack and then Nerf hops in from time to time uh, when we do table talk. Uh, that's just that's my ballpark estimates looking at these waveforms all the time but um, your contributions are valuable they're just not that frequent uh, when compared to yep. the rest of us. I go for this, the high quality low quantity. Yeah, I'm the opposite. Yeah, I go for uh <laughs> low quality and quantity yeah and you do regularly <laughs> yeah. achieve it it's impressive mm-hmm. uh, Shepard has adopted kind of the Zerg Rush um, philosophy of speech mm-hmm. where it's just a it's a stream of it. he pumps out a lot of it but it, none of it's very good right but it is effective it can be it certainly shuts people down yeah great analogy um, yeah I don't know I I <laughs> It's funny, you know, we, we've hit on a couple of things today that are like some of my favorite kind of uh, daydreams with, well, with Nerf and Caboose, like a freak, a frequent topic of discussion is, you know, like, oh, what's your perfect game setup? Like, what's your, you know, physically, what would the best TTRPG table be? Um, you know, is it is it like a hexagon that has integrated little desks with an elevated portion for miniatures? I think it's a, it's or, a sphere. Yeah. It's like a Mario Galaxy thing. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wears a uh, magnetic boots. Nice. <laughs> no, I was thinking for a while it would be like, I mean, everyone would have basically their own desk 
facing each other in a hexagon or something like that. And then there would be an elevated portion in the center where you could put a map or something. But I now, like, the more I think about it, the more that I think that it would just be hard to see each other because the table would be too tall. Um, I don't know. I still haven't settled on, uh, you know, if I... If money was no object and I had a big room to put this in, like, what would that setup look like? Well, much like with my other preferences when it comes to tabletop gaming, I want to make everything out of Lego. So uh, I think that that mm. provides a lot of modularity when it comes to what you want your setup to look like. Don't like it? Take it apart and build something else. I think we can all agree, though, that it's not the Wormwood table. Right, yeah. The $5,000 <laughs> yeah. Wormwood yeah. table or 8000 or whatever it ended up being. It, it honestly it doesn't seem to support any nice. of the things that I would want at yeah. one of those tables. Yeah. It's very small. Wormwood, I love you, but I don't understand the table. I mean, I, I kind I... of... Honestly, I kind of like the idea of just having, like, a, a really, really big coffee table with chairs and couches around it and having yeah. everybody have a big lap desk. Yeah. I think that I... is a better answer. I, like for me, it, it's it's like super, like low tech. Like it's just stools mm -hmm. around a campfire, and I don't know. I guess you'd have like the uh, like uh, some trays or something to roll dice in, and it's you know, th then you could really, really have some fun with the with DMing, like getting into the narration around the fire, just like telling stories. Yeah, I see. For me, I, I really. I mean, part part of it is like I just really like taking notes, yeah. And I really like it when other people. I mean, especially you know, given the kind of campaign I've expressed that I I, I really like. Um, I never take notes ever. So this is kind of a special case though, where with you know, in our campaign we record everything, and I mean it's it's well put together, so it's nice to listen to. It's not like some other campaigns I I play in where. They record it, but it's very utilitarian. You know, it's just a raw audio file, so you can listen to it if, if you have questions about what happened. Um, but I, you know, I, I know that when I play at somebody else's table, I, I want to, I mean, I want to have some place to put a notepad so I can take notes and stuff like that. And if I, I mean, really all my needs are met if, if I was sitting on a couch with a lap desk. And the, you know, if we were using miniatures, there was just a, space for that like a big coffee table yeah um because part of the question here is and i guess this is something that the wormwood table addresses it's a uh, like most people can't afford to have you know a dedicated tabletop gaming room right the, the, whatever this table is it needs to function as like a regular table um and so for the wormwood thing it's like there's this elaborate crank system that like sinks the middle of the table um and i you know that's something that makes the, you know, crazy hexagon desk table thing impractical. Yeah. But what are you, what are your thoughts on this, Jack? I don't know. I, I I don't really have super duper strong opinions on any of it. Maybe I just don't do enough of like yeah. I don't know. I, I don't I don't do this often enough to really have super big ideas on what could make it better or what I would how I would prefer to be doing it, you know? Yeah, I kind of feel the same way where I, like, I've got these dreams of, like, well, you know, you could do this and do that. And it's, like, really all I just, I just need a big table. And then that, that really yeah. just, <laughs> that, that really solves pretty much all the problems. If you just have a big table. Yeah. Do you yeah, remember honestly, I, I, when, when I we were younger? I just want a room in my house. Yeah. When we were younger, you, I was thinking about this earlier when we were, when we were talking about the ideal table. 
you built a uh, po- a poker table. You remember we that? We built a poker table. I I feel like I wasn't super involved in the process, but I, I was relatively involved. That was cool. So it depends on which table you're talking about. If you're talking about the like the one we used at poker club all the time, that was that was me and our friend who will remain unnamed on mm-hmm. this podcast. That, um, that, that's the one I'm thinking about. Like I said, I don't think I'm. Yeah, super with the cool. with like the the vinyl bumper around. Yeah, and everything. it was super cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it was. It was pretty that. simple. I I think he he found a plan for it online, and we. Yeah, I remember you guys were I referencing mean, like basically a, a multi-post blog thing, like a project log. Yeah. From somebody who that was cool though. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we used it. I guess a handful of times. I don't know where it is now. I think he still has. Well, well, he might not still have it, but he was the last one who had it. Yeah, yeah. I definitely. I mean, it was it was his table. He was because I remember to fund it, he had been saving change forever, and we went to like a coin star, and oh, wow, <laughs> just dumped in coins and got like two hundred bucks, and that financed the table. Huh. You mean this table? Oh man. Wow, yeah, that was a that was a good table. Um, I got to tell you though, like I, I, I poker, poker is boring. Yeah, po- yeah. poker is very boring. Well, and the problem yeah. we always had I, with those I, poker cups was that people would just stop paying attention, and yeah, so people would just fuck off, be, and then it was terrible. Yeah, something that should have been very yes. quick and it ended up taking just a really really long time. There was also a very wide range of how seriously people wanted to take it. Like, there were some people who were super into it, at like, like we're going to sit down, we're going to play poker. And then other people were just there to, like, not really focus that much on winning and just have a good time. Which is I, well, the kiss I, I of think, death for any I game. I think there's a big difference when you're playing poker between, like, strategies you employ if you really want to win and strategies that are fun to, to execute and watch. Mm-hmm. I think the, the um, problem was the it, pot wasn't big enough for people to actually care. <laughs> yeah, that's also true. That was that was gonna like we didn't have the money to do anything else. Well, so th- an issue there though is, I mean, people get really weird when money's involved. Um, like if if you're, if you're playing for money that people actually care about, that is, I at, in in my experience, that's how you wind up losing friends, especially because of the mismatch we just described. Um, but I, I remember, I mean, pretty frequently being, um, you know, one of the last two people at the table, and and it was just boring because you would just saw back and forth. Um, I don't know. I like I don't miss poker club. I uh, I know I, I know some people who are really into poker play a lot of online poker and stuff like that, and it it just doesn't capture my interest. Yeah, I knew a guy who did that. I think I've talked about it before, but. Uh, without getting into too many details, he uh, was, I mean, I have to assume he was some sort of online gab- gambling addict because he was, uh, in essence, embezzling money from the company that I worked for and funneling that into his <laughs> online poker habits. Uh, yeah. He he got fired. <laughs> <laughs> Did he get uh, charged with anything? Like, is he, I mean... I don't, th- I don't know. Um... I, I didn't really keep up with them much after that, I'll be honest. Sure. So, I, who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I have a friend who's really into craps as well. I, oh, it's Caboose. And he, he made himself, like, a nice craps table. I don't even know how you play craps. I, I, neither do I, and it's complicated. Yeah, I, 
I'm vaguely familiar with it, but uh, not enough to be able to play it like competently. Which there's not that many rules, so yeah, I'm more of a roulette guy. It's just let <laughs> just just random. Why not? I I don't know. I I guess I I just don't really get it. Like I yeah, I mean I'm kidding. I'm not actually a gambler. No, no, no. I, I mean, kind of casino games in general. Like I gambling doesn't really do it for me. Um. And none of those games on their own are really games I find appealing anyway. So it just doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't grab me the way it seems to grab a lot of other people. Yeah, what I've heard, because uh, I've never been to a casino, but what I've heard is that, um, I mean, obviously they're designed to, uh, you know, be very stimulating. Um, you know, all the lights and sounds and the atmosphere that they provide and they'll bring you free drinks and all this stuff. And uh, sure. it makes the experience of playing fun even if you don't know what you're doing or even if you're losing and there's a chance to win which is exciting yeah and i've i've been to a big casino one time and i can attest to all of that and i mean even the crazy stuff you hear about how like they're you're physically constructed in a way that kind of makes it easy to get lost mm-hmm. um you know and stuff like that like that was you know true and in, in that that one experience that i had right where but, they're built to be like circular so, so you never feel like you've reached the end of it Sure, and you know, no clocks, that kind of thing. But yeah, um, I, I, I don't know. I guess I, I, I mean, I knew going in that I didn't want to be taken advantage of, and so I went in with cash in my pocket. And the idea was like, this is my budget. Yeah, I'm, and that's the smart I, way. To I'm do walking it. in assuming that this money is gone. Like I'm, I'm spending this money tonight on entertainment, and if. You know, anything I make with that money, I'm free to continue gambling. But at no point am I going to an ATM and withdrawing anymore. Um, and I want to say, I want to say I like made enough money to buy like a nice dinner while I was there. But you know, otherwise, pretty much lost everything, and that was you know fine because it was still a couple of hundred dollars I had budgeted for the night. Yeah, because I think the the idea of the healthiest way to approach those kinds of things is, you know, when you go on vacation somewhere, you, you are guaranteed to lose money. You know, you're not making any money while you're there. When you go to right. something like Vegas, you should consider it the same thing. You know, you make that budget, like you say, and, and we'll go no further, and that's the amount of money you're willing to lose. And if you happen to not lose it all, or even if you come out on top, that's cool, but... You know, you don't ever end up taking out more money because that's, you know, that's how people get in trouble. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I guess part of it is just having like a kind of a prob stat background. I feel stupid if I gamble. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like, I know I'm committing like a prob stat sin when I gamble. Yeah, well, I mean, because it's, it's, I mean, the saying, right, the house always wins. But when you look at something like roulette, it's very obvious. You can do the math immediately and say, oh, my expected outcome is always negative. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in, in that case for me, like, because, because it's, I guess, kind of second nature to try to turn it into like a, an expected value calculation, it's, it's, le- it's not magical. It's, it's not interesting to me in that way. It's, it's just a, Oh, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm throwing money away. And so if it's fun, then maybe it's worth paying for, but I don't look at it as like an opportunity to, to gain anything. Right. Yeah. Cause I throw money at fun things all the time with no expectation of getting any money back. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but 
uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I've, I've never, you know, I guess I'm grateful that I, I, I'm not drawn to it because I, I mean, what a terrifying thing to be drawn to. Mm-hmm. Speaking of which, what my plan for finally making money off of this podcast, because uh, right now I'm only losing to it, <laughs> is uh, I'm going to set up uh, gambling for outcomes of combat encounters. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> who's oh. going to do the most damage? Who's going to have the most misses, criticals, all those kinds of things? Um, mm-hmm. And kind of set up tables for that uh, so that I can start recouping some of the money I've lost to this podcast. See, I'm trying to figure out a way... I guess to make us more controversial, because I think I think I need a scandal to overcome in order to, um, you know, make us more interesting. Well, something in, a facet inherent to a scandal is that somebody cares. Um, you know, something isn't a scandal if nobody's aware of it or if nobody gives a shit about it. And our problem right, right. now is so, not I mean, that's who we are. Well, I mean, sure, but. Uh, you know, may- maybe I can. Maybe the way to keep the scandal palatable is to do it before anyone's even watching. <laughs> so you're <laughs> you're starting off at rock bottom, kind of thing, right? All right, yeah, that's something. I don't know. I'm I'm still I'm still working on it. What kind of scandal are you considering? Um. Oh, I don't know. I mean, so I I think the I I think the you know saying like a slur kind of stuff is played out. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I guess I just don't think that's very interesting. You know, I thought maybe I would like, I, you know, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. Um, maybe we could have like a special guest on and then I would just run like a particularly um, unpleasant scenario in some way that like violates some kind of boundary. Um, Do you think we could get Jordan Peterson to join us for a session? Do you think he would play? I know. Do you think he would know? Le- uh, what if we? Oh man, I don't know. Because I have questions for Jordan Peterson. <laughs> we all do. I want to know how the the all meat diet went. Well, wouldn't we all I have to wear know... suits if he was playing with us? Oh, we would all have to have clean I'm not, rooms. I'm not familiar with this. <laughs> um, I, I want to know why he sounds Irish when he's Canadian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's. That, I would say that's my biggest question. Right. Uh. I do need to clean my room, but that has nothing to do with Jordan Peterson or his outlook on life. <laughs> yeah. I also need to clean mine. I mean, I, th- I thought he was a good guest on the Joe Rogan experience. I've seen him do a couple of debates, and I thought he was you know, kind of incoherent. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you had sent me one debate. It was between him and Matt Dillahunty, where uh, he was yeah. he was basically making claims about whether one thing or another, like being on psilocybin or something, was a spiritual experience, and mm-hmm. Matt Dillahunty was not having it. Well, I, I think, um, and I don't remember who coined this term, but I think he's guilty of something called deepity, where he <laughs> he uses a lot of like complex reference-laden language to, I guess, promote views that, like, you know, superficially seem like very profound, but then someone like Delahunty, who's who's very like practical and matter of fact, kind of tries to drill down into them and there's just nothing there like it doesn't mean anything um so i i, I don't know i like i i probably have not consumed enough peterson content to credibly um you know cri- criticize him that much like i haven't read his books i i really haven't gone deeper than listening to him on the joe rogan experience and then listening to i guess some of his more clickbaity interviews and 
uh, him doing a couple of debates. But I also don't need to be told to clean my room or stand up straight with my shoulders back. So um, I don't think I'm his target audience. Um, but Jack is a kind of MGTOW incel type. So I think that's he probably knows a lot more about it than I do. Yeah, I've uh, Jordan Peterson and I get dinner most nights. And yeah. I've been learning to be a better human by watching him. Hmm. I have an idea for your scandal. Oh, go for it. You need to just uh, start hunting animals that are just not accepted as, like, hunting <laughs> targets in That's the United States. I like this, like, like, like horses. Yeah, the horses is actually the example of Or like, dogs. Was, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, like, post pictures of, like, <laughs> your kills. And be like, yeah. <laughs> Have the skulls mounted. Yeah, get on like you. a dog to head trophy to put on my wall. Yeah, it, just the like same a, way that like a golden retriever. Yeah, or get them, get them like really poorly taxidermied and have a have a display in your house that you constantly post pictures of. <laughs> People would get very angry very quickly. I think it would they, be. Effective. They would. They would. Well, and and it's especially I mean, fucking millennials. Uh, and I assume Gen Zers. <laughs> I am so annoyed as someone who does not like dogs. Not that I hate them, I just don't particularly care for them. Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan either. I'm like a social pro. I'll, I'll warn you, before mm-hmm. you go too far, not only does Nerf have a dog, but he refer- frequently refers to the fur dog baby. as his child. And yeah, his fur baby. That's sickening. He, <laughs> he makes the dog call him daddy. That's right. <laughs> oh, that is very strange. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I hate dogs. I, do. I Or... I, I am occasionally okay with dogs, but it's the problem that I have, and we've talked about this before, I don't know if it's been brought up on the podcast, but a lot of people don't train their animals. Right, And so exactly. you'll walk into somebody's house and it's just all over you, and, and you're like, get this thing off me. Well, I've, yeah, I've, it, like, I've I walk in the room and start biting my balls off. Yeah, I've had to throw shirts away because a dog jumped up on me and clawed the shit out of it and ripped it. I was like, dude. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I like Nerf's dog because Nerf's dog is, well, it, it's a big fucking dog yep. that is a huge Freddy cat. Yep. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, I do like, remember that. It's, uh, he's fun. Like, we'll play in the backyard. I like, uh, he's, fuck, he's a fucking terrible dog in, in terms of playing. <laughs> like, uh, in terms you, of things you expect a dog to be able to do. Yeah, yeah. He just has a really, like, fucked up idea of what playing is, where, like, I'll grab a stick, and he'll want to play with a stick, and I'll throw it, and he'll run towards it, and he'll basically, like, tag it with his nose and then run away, or he'll pick it up, and then he'll just drop it and run away and start running, like, figure eights. It doesn't make any sense. Um, and so I, it normally devolves into, like, me running around the yard chasing him. He has a frisbee that he can't catch, so instead he just chews it. He just oh, lays good. on the ground and, yeah, like... He's he's slowly eating the frisbee, um, but it's uh, I, yeah I, I I like him because he's like he's friendly, but he's he's too much of a fraidy cat to be aggressive. Um, but I yeah I, I definitely share your distaste for like poorly trained dogs that you know whether they're aggressively friendly or just plain old aggressive, mm-hmm. like they they're on top of you as soon as you walk in. And to Shepherd's point, I. Yeah, there, there are, like, a lot of bad dog apologists out there. Um, 
that I I don't know like I, I maybe maybe I just wasn't aware of this before but I didn't I guess I never thought growing up that having a dog was like a lifestyle like there were you know some people had dogs and some people didn't but I didn't I guess I wasn't conscious of people saying like I'm a dog person and I only like other dog people mm-hmm. um and dog yeah dog people are like truck people or gun people like it's not you can't just be a guy that owns a gun and does target shooting every once in a while you have to be a gun guy. Um, it's a, like a whole identity thing that I, I, I don't know. I can't really get on board with. Yeah. Uh, and to your point about bad dog apologists, like I, I don't usually, I mean, the dogs annoy me. I don't hold them like morally responsible for their failure to be trained. Uh, I, I hold the owners accountable for that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, no, it's absolutely on the owners. Uh, but it doesn't, doesn't mean that, you know, I suddenly love their dog. It's like, no, I don't like your dog. It's just not their fault that they suck. It's yours. Yeah. Yeah, part, I guess part of the dog thing is like I, I don't really understand the I, and I, I mean maybe this is my fault for viewing everything in life as like a series of trades but I don't understand the dog trade like yeah I feel the same way a lot for the dog like you you give up a lot of mobility because the you know the dog needs to be let out to use the bathroom regularly taken on walks and stuff like that and maybe you know maybe you do a lot of things that you can incorporate the dog into like maybe you go on runs with your dog or, you know, you go hiking a lot and the dog comes or, you know, you have a big yard and so you're out there a lot with the dog. But in most cases, the dog is like, you know, basically a big additional set of chores in addition to the like shitty things that come along with having a dog like it gets hair on everything and it chews shit up. And sometimes it, you know, if it's not properly trained or if it has health issues, it like pees and there's odors involved, even if it is well drained. Right, right. And I mean, I, I, I like Nerf's dog, but before you mow the lawn, you have to go, you know, make sure that you're not about to like run over a turd, um, <laughs> because you know that's just part of having a dog is they don't use fucking toilets. Um, yeah, I would say the relationship is is relatively parasitic, and I don't see the the upsides of whatever companionship or fun and things i don't see them as outweighing the cost mm-hmm. yeah I, I i don't know i i think if i had a big piece of property like if i lived out in the midwest or something like that and i spent a lot of time at home and i had a lot of space for a dog to run around i think i'd like to have one um because i i do like playing with them and stuff like that but that's also a situation that i think mitigates a lot of the things i don't like about dogs what I, what I really don't get is, uh, you know, you live in a condo and in the middle of downtown and you have a dog that, you know, lives in your, your tiny little Yeah, it's condo never seen you, a blade you, of grass before in its life. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but I guess more fundamentally, I'm not even talking about dogs. I'm talking about people who can't just have or do something. They have to yes, identify as a now. particular right I like pencils. I wouldn't tell you that I'm a pencil guy. Like, I don't think <laughs> I I'm an anything guy. So, the I, I first, guess so. When you mentioned, oh, people who, uh, people who, like, identify themselves as dog people, I immediately thought, like, okay, when he's, when he wraps this up, I'm going to make a joke about how he identifies as a pencil person. Oh, no. I don't, <laughs> yep. by the way. Well, you claim not to, but. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, look. Pencils. I have a. Fantastic paper, notebooks. pencil collection, but uh, you know I'm not like a CrossFit vegan type of guy. Like I, I'm, I'm not going to try to make you write with a pencil. I'm not going to show you my pencil. 
Uh, I paid five hundred dollars for this pencil. You, you've you've showed me your pencil. <laughs> I've seen your pencil. Nerf is a, I, I, you know, Nerf is is curious about pencils, and so mm-hmm. there's some amount of projection here, where he he wants to misconstrue this as me thrusting my pencil collection upon him, but really it's a, you know, he there's some kind of inadequacy there that he's trying to resolve, and I'm I don't know exactly. What <laughs> Duncan is a huge fan of. Japanese pencils, to be specific. That's true. <laughs> but I don't use pencils for anything. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I really like to watch. Uh, I like them to get smaller. You know what I mean? It makes me feel really productive. It's like mowing a lawn. You do it's like, like mowing a lawn. You definitely have a really? type. You really like the small and thin pencils. I mean, I guess it, it, I don't know that there's a lot of pencils I've don't. seen in my life that don't meet that description. No, well, these are I, these are thinner. Some pencils are thinner than other pencils. That's not true. They're all exactly the same. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, no, I don't. Well, are you talking I guess about I, like the the length of the pencil or the actual tip? I do like my pencils thinner on one end than the other, but that's yeah, just so a that nice taper. Preference. Yeah. Uh, no, I I don't know. It's satisfying like using a pencil until it's like really short and then starting a new one in a way that's I guess more satisfying than just draining the cartridge on a pen. Yeah. I'm not crazy about it. I mean, like, I, I, I use pens at work because it's more practical, but whenever I'm doing, like, personal or creative stuff, I like to use pencils. Mm. And if you're going to collect something, it's, you know, I think a pencil collection is, like, the caffeine of addictions, where if you got to have one, that's probably the way to go. It's yeah. pretty fucking cheap and low impact. A nice pencil's, like, you know, a couple of bucks. All right. Okay. With that, I think we've run out of interesting things to say. <laughs> okay. So hold on, though. I wanted to talk about BTK. No. Okay. I, th- I think it's time to it's time to end this. No, you think we're running out of steam? <laughs> I think we ran out of steam. Hey, everybody, check out Palomino Blackwing. If you're looking for a nice pencil, I'm I'm just kind of a pencil guy, and so I really <laughs> wanted everybody to. Yeah, Check out Palomino Blackwing. The Palomino Blackwing 602, really, it's probably the best pencil out there. Oh, what? Big the, fan. Wait, what, the it's got like a weird eraser on it. What's up with that? Yeah, it's square. So what's nice is you can you can remove it and you can let more eraser out. Oh, that's a, that's a good idea actually. So they're really fucking nice. Um, the. I, like, you know how if you try to sharpen, like, a, I don't know, a regular, like just a typical pencil that you might find somewhere, like a Dixon Ticonderoga or something, like, you will, you'll sharpen it and it might break off a little bit and you'll have to resharpen it because there are, like, breaks in the in the lead. It's yep. never going to happen with a black wing. It's uh, 27 it's bucks be, for a set of 12. Yeah, well, I mean, you do the division. That's really not that much per pencil, especially considering that one of those will fill up a legal pad front and back. But uh, here, let me let me tell you why I think the Palomino Blackwing is so great. It's uh, they smell nice. I think they're made with incense cedar. The mm. the graphite on the 602 is perfect. It's like the perfect balance of um, like blackness and smoothness and hardness. That uh, like it doesn't smudge. And you you really don't have to sharpen it very often. Holds a point really well. Uh, they're long. 
You can let out more eraser. The erasers are good. They work well. They're just fucking awesome pencil. They sell their own special sharpener that looks very cool. The sharpeners are great. It's a classy looking sharpener. Yep. It's that like that uh the barrel shaped yeah. black one. Yep. It's great. But as much as I like the black wing, and as much as I think that they're they have above average erasers, those are not the best pencil erasers out there. The best pencil eraser is the Sumo Grip. Check it out on Amazon, everybody. Sumo Grip pencil. What the fuck? No, Sumo Grip eraser. (laughs) Oh. It's just a black... It's black with red packaging. It's a foam eraser. Uh, The brand is Sakura. Sumo Grip. I could be mispronouncing that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you never wrote anything. It's... It's... It's a great eraser. Huh. But yeah, Palomino Blackwing 602. You want a little softer, you go for the the Blackwing Matte. You want a little harder, you go for the Blackwing Natural. <laughs> so, you want something between you the, the soft Matte like, and the I'm 602, not, not you go for the guy. Pearl. <laughs> You're a pencil guy. Okay. I like so, them, but so I, I, don't, I don't like walk around poking people with them that don't want to be poked. You know what I'm saying? Sure. So, so we've, we've talked about, you know, the graphite and then things that can remove the graphite. But what about what you mm. put the graphite on? What are your, uh, your notepads? We've talked about paper before. So, number one notepad recommendation, Levenger. It's like the highest end legal pad that I can find. Um, but if you don't like shit that's already lined, you got to go for Rhodia. Well, hold on. Blackwing, I'm still on their website, and they sell something called the Illegal Pad. I think that's pretty good. Oh my god. I, uh, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever owned any Blackwing paper or notebooks or anything like that. But, you know, it's, it's pretty rare. I think that one company is the best at two totally different products. Mm-hmm. Um, which is not to say that, you know, it's impossible. But Levenger. Levenger legal pads. It's very starchy paper. You know, it's it's almost like construction paper. It's fucking thick. It's nice. Plus, you can get some that are set up for the Cornell note-taking system, which is what? the note-taking system of champions. So check it out, all you fucking nerds. Get yourself a Blackwing pencil and a Levenger Cornell rule notepad. Hey, Shepard, remember when you said we ran out of things to talk about, but you didn't see this shit coming? <laughs> yeah. I'm doing the New York Times crossword right now, so don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I bet you're doing it on a computer like a fucking chump. I'm doing it on my phone. Mm. Are you done baiting me now, Nerf? Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that's what I wanted to start. Yeah. That's my rule. I don't give unsolicited uh, recommendations, but solicited, buckle up. <laughs> Building my Amazon car right now with some uh, some Palomino Blackwing 602s, mm. Sumo Grip, and then I th- I th- I have a I think you gave me a Rodian legal pad that I really like. I yeah, that sounds right. it's nice stuff. If you have the right writing instruments, you will want to write things, and we all deep down want to write things. Yeah, it's interesting. I never heard of How's the Cornell note taking method. But I'm reading it, well, and it sounds interesting. I have my my own variation on that method. If at some point you are curious, it's uh. But I uh, I'm an obsessive note taker, um, especially at work, and that's that's like, it's been very helpful. Mm. Well, I think we have actually run out of steam here. <laughs> All right. Well, tune in next time when we actually play D and D. Yeah, maybe. 
Maybe, <laughs> maybe. Hey, to, everybody tune in an hour earlier next time. We're getting started an hour early. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Putting the pin and paper in pin and paper gaming. Yeah. That's why I record everything. Then I don't have I don't have to write anything down. Mm. <laughs>